What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 215 of Two Black Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and our takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com. Go check out our Nerds of Mitchiff collection inspired by Loki. We got t-shirts, crewneck city stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be discussing the biggest Hollywood winners and losers of 2023. From the unprecedented highs of the Barbenheimer phenomenon to the tumultuous lows and effects of two historic strikes, we'll be recapping some of the industry's most notable successes and failures of the past year. Plus, we'll also review the new comedy drama American Fiction starring Jeffrey Wright and the new origin story film about cinema's most iconic character, Wonka. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with our reactions to some significant updates in the case against actor Jonathan Majors, mm. um, which is uh, which is definitely going well, to be some very fresh reactions that we're giving here. This information and this news broke literally hours before we're recording this podcast, but we now know the final ver- verdict in the Jonathan Majors case, and uh, he's been found guilty um, by a New York court and by a jury um, who has basically charged him and found him get guilty of two different charges, um, two misdemeanor charges at that, um, one for harassment and one for assault, um, two other charges he was acquitted of for a total of four charges. But ultimately, this means that he faces possibly up to a year in prison, but the sentencing for this case will not happen until February 6th. But this is obviously a big story we've been following for quite a number of months now, um, mm-hmm. just due to the fact that Jonathan Majors is such a high-profile celebrity and actor, and he's frequently been a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is something we obviously cover here. And so we've just been waiting to see what the what the outcome was going to be from this trial and from just everything that's gone down. Um, before we talk about the Marvel stuff, because that news is also broke about him being let go, what are your just early immediate reactions to just finding this out. Uh, I don't know how closely you've been following the trial, like what you've seen online, some of the information and footage that's come out, but you know, how are you just feeling about everything that's come out about this trial and ultimately the, the, the jury's verdict in, in the case against Jonathan Majors? Leave this white women alone. No, um, there is a, just such a weird, always hard thing to talk about when it comes to any kind of, uh, uh, charges on any kind of assault or anything domestic or any 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 time it comes to trial like this things start to get muddled very quickly right uh there's just so much that goes into it of course from the um um the 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 point of view of the victim right you feel like you have to take their side first and then there's history behind this too right in terms of black men being coerced by white women for real and maybe being innocent but then being being led guilty and going to jail and like there's just so much history and things behind it um in in you know it's it's just a really weird and hard thing to talk about especially Jonathan Major somebody who was in the midst of all this um before all this happened was at in some ways the height of his powers right he was about to storm Hollywood with the things that he had going on in particular what he was doing with Kane the Conqueror and so it's just always uh, a, a really hard thing to talk about it, 
given all of those things, given what we know, what relationships can be, given even uh, uh, evidence that comes out, right? You see videos and text messages. And of course, a lot of us aren't lawyers. A lot of us will, but a lot of us have been keeping eyes on the case. And so it's just, uh, again, it's just a really weird thing to have to talk about because there's so many gray areas sometimes. Sometimes it's very clear, but other times you're like, I don't really know what to say or what to make of this or how I'm supposed to feel or am I supposed to root for somebody? Am I supposed to root against somebody? It can all get very muddled up in that way. Um, but but what I will say is we have a verdict now. I think that's the, the, the thing we've all been waiting for is that we do have a verdict and we do have at least a way looking forward of, of, of what's to happen. So uh, it, it's, it's been a long a long uh a long ride i'd say with this with this trial um and it's been a lot of built up angst and anticipation for for what was going to happen with the with this situation but uh to, and to be honest but at the end of it all the the way i can say i feel is just kind of i guess disappointed and un- it, it, all of this is unfortunate that it holds, had to go down like this um and, and, and i think i think that's the main feeling right now that looms over me is like damn <laughs> this actually happened and we'd had to again we had to go through all this we had to go through trials we had to say this uh uh this dude is going to jail we had to say you know sit here and wait on all this information to come out only to hear um you know one of the the not necessarily the the worst that could come out of it because like you said he was <laughs> acquitted of a couple other charges but to to sit here and say dang this this is a, a real thing and this is actually happening is another thing um and and, and so again this, this is all very fresh but for now it's like damn now what it's kind of my tagline in my head it's like damn now what and i think that's a good question i think everyone's asking those questions um but yeah man it's a very it's 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 all very uh weird to talk about again and it's all very complicated and i think that's that's one of the thing I, I I take out of this. I, I feel like before there's been other cases where it's like, nah, that's not that hard. But I think this is one of the ones that feels slightly more complicated to me. Man, I think uh, overall looking at this situation, this scenario, it's just sad. It's sad that it all played out like this. I mean, here's a guy who was on the ascendancy for being a really, I think, transcendent talent in Hollywood. We all sort of recognized just the power of what he was carrying, and we saw just how gifted he was as an actor and all of these performances that he's turned in over the past few years he was really making a significant name for himself and people were taking notice and then all of a sudden this crazy situation occurs we find out about this news early partners start to drop him agencies start to drop him and so it started to i think paint a picture like okay they might have access to some information that maybe us you know regular folks in the public do not they might know a little bit more so it feels like it's going in one direction but then of course you have his his lawyers who are vehemently denying all charges Mm -hmm. saying that they are very eager to move past this and prove his innocence in the situation. And so we waited and waited and waited. And and ultimately, you know, over the past week, seeing some of these things come out online, which is very hard to decipher, especially when you're not in the courtroom as this information is being presented, we don't have 100% of the information or all of the context, but as you, as you just look at this and take it for, for face value and you see, a video of him jogging away from her in the New York City streets, getting out of a car. And it's like, well, what's that about? What's going on here? Or you see these text messages, which feel very just strangely worded and encoded and almost and, 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 and 
sort of presented in a way that he is he is definitely trying to protect and hide something, perhaps. And then the voice recordings that come out, you know, where she's secretly recording him without him knowing. I mean, you know, that also puts him in a in a position where he's not he's not presented favorably because you listen to that stuff and he's saying stuff like I'm a great man. I mean, he kind of thinks highly of himself. He has a grandiose opinion about himself. And so I think you, you look at that and you're like, well, that's kind of a weird thing to say about yourself. Like, who, who calls himself a great man? You know, yeah. I, it's, I would look at that and be like, dude, tone it down. Like, what are we doing right here? Mm-hmm. But then you see him running from her and it's like, what's that about? Like, what happened mm-hmm. in the in the backseat of this van? It's just so much stuff that we don't know. But at the end of the day, the verdict is the verdict. Exactly. It's, it's in the history books for now and forever. And um, that that's the reality of it. And, 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 and the jury itself, you know, I think it's important to note that the majority of the jury was a black jury. You know, mm-hmm. I, of course, we can bring up context and injustices. I'm not discrediting any of that because there is a long, complicated history, as you noted. But um, according to them, the facts were there and, and it was enough to find him guilty on two charges. And, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, that's a sad thing that regardless of how we got here, he has some work that he needs to do within himself. I think right. just based off of what we've seen from the mm-hmm. evidence and I hope that she can also find some healing as well, uh, Grace Jabari. And I think really looking at this whole situation, like these two were just not good for each other. That that's yeah, what I take away really from everything. it. Ultimately, mm-hmm. yeah, I, you know, I I think you know, despite how you feel and getting into the, the the logistics and the specifics of the case and and all of that stuff, that's a really separate conversation. Now knowing what we know and now with the verdict out, I think it just shows and illuminates the fact that these two were not good for each other mm-hmm. at all, just based on the way they talk to each other based on these interactions, based on the stuff that we did see, the videos, all of it just felt weird and disturbing and, and, and very much off. And so it felt like both of them, despite whatever verdict was going to be handed out, needed to do some work to be healed from this situation and, and to mend some things that possibly they were dealing with in their own personal lives. And I hope that they can do that because a lot of that stuff was disturbing mm-hmm. to read some of those text messages to see like where their heads were at. For sure. As all of this unfolded. So, um, yeah, it's just sad, man. You just, you know, I, I think um, he, he he is such a talented guy and, and, and somebody that, you know, I, I was looking forward to really admiring what he did on screen. But now we don't know what that's going to mean for him ultimately, because, um, you know, Can't one of the good. biggest things that he, one of the, you know, it definitely cannot be. Um, but one of the biggest things that, that we were looking forward to seeing more out of him was was his relationship with Marvel Studios and what he was doing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was cast as Kang the Conqueror a few years ago, but um, pretty much right after this verdict was released publicly, Marvel Studios, Disney, uh, they've officially fired him from all of his potential future roles that he was going to have in this universe. They, they wasted no time, essentially. Um, it's important to note that they have not released their own statement about this, but studio reps apparently on the inside have confirmed with the major trades like Variety, Deadline, The Hollywood Reporter, that mm-hmm. they are not moving forward with him, um, which just signals to me that this is something that they probably knew was going to happen. It feels mm-hmm. like that they were prepping for this and they kind of already understood the course of action that they were going to take in, in whichever way that this was going to play out. And so... Um, a lot of a lot of questions with this now, you know, that I'd ask you, we, we talked about the situation, you know, quite a bit on the show all year. Mm-hmm. First, what's next? You know, what what comes next with this? Because there was an entire movie named after the character that he was going to play. Um, do, do 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 they do they recast? Do they completely abandon the story altogether and pivot? Um, I, I think I think that those are probably the two most reasonable courses of action. Yeah. So how do you see it in terms of what Marvel does? You know, next with this with this larger storyline with Kang, without Kang, whatever direction that they might go in. I still see a world where 
I think recasting has to be the direction, or it doesn't have to be, but is the direction that still makes the most sense, right? Um, at least for for me, where you've done so much groundwork. Again, not according to a lot of people's opinion, not the best groundwork within this saga, but you have done a decent amount of groundwork to, I think, set something up. And I feel like all of what we've been watching these past couple of years is, even though, again, kind of confusing to, to some of us, is still going somewhere. And I think there's still a plan and I think there's still something there. And, I, and, and to me, if, if to get things back on track is to just say, you know, can you play this part? I think you can play this part and it kind of in some ways fixes everything and everything comes back into into play. I say do that, man. I'm I'm really I'm having a hard time, though possible, though possible. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around throwing everything Kang away. I just can't. I don't know. It's 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 it just sounds like so much work that they might have to do um, to kind of fix that. Though, again, they, there's something they could be working on. It's something you mentioned before that there might be a plan that they already had in place at one point, knowing Quantumania wasn't doing what it was supposed to do and so on and so forth. If if they have something concrete and good that can that can replace that Kang storyline that doesn't take another <laughs> four, five, six years to to get to sink our teeth into, then I by all means do it. But again, to, for me, just recast and, and move on feels like the that feels like a a, a band aid, you know that <laughs> that would work a band aid that works. And I think that's the way they should go. Um, uh, I feel like you asked me something else. What was the other question? Uh, um, not well. The 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 other I think the other aspect to it was you know if if they were to not recast and if they were to abandon the storyline completely with Kane the Conqueror, then what does that look like? What 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 comes what comes in the way of that if they were to choose to just say we're not going to go in the du- direction of Kane, we're just going to move elsewhere, pick another villain, overarching to, story, whatever the case may be. If it, my only problem with doing Doom right now is for me personally, he feels like the apex. Like for me, like once you do Doom, you it's time to reboot. You know what I mean? Like it's like. That's like the natural thing after Doom. It's like, oh, it's time to reboot everything. Like he is, he does feel like the next big, big, big villain. Kang is big. Don't get me wrong. Galactus is big. There's a lot of other villains you can say. Okay, the Avengers can fight them. Avengers can fight them. But if you do Doom again, for me, I don't, I don't see how you get any bigger than that. Though, I could see a world where he is the next natural choice. Knowing Fantastic Four is a movie we have in the future. <laughs> knowing Fantastic Four is coming out at some point in time. Um, I feel like that's definitely something. If they wanted to, they could pivot to. At least that would be my vote. Either that or, to be honest, Galactus. Galactus isn't, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm going to keep throwing Galactus in the hat. He, he, We plan him as a Fantastic Four threat, but he's definitely been an Avengers threat in comics as well. Like, this is a big, <laughs> this is a pretty big guy. And so I, I, I still want to throw Galactus in the hat, but I could see Doom happening as well i just don't want it to happen too fast and then we'd be like in 10 years from now we're like well i guess we got to reboot already though that sounds like normal right it's like oh time to reboot it has been 10 years that sounds like a long time but i feel like in the mcu it feels kind of fast at least to me and so i would want them to wait on that just a little bit longer until we have mutants established till we have you know all these other things established that feel that make that feel a little bit better um but yeah those are kind of my thoughts so i was i was initially on the just recast 
train of, mm-hmm. of this entire situation. But after really thinking about it, like just soaking this in after now this being a reality that he's found guilty and Marvel has let him go at this point. I think it's probably time to just go ahead and, and just just abandon it. And, and I say that just because if they were to recast, which is a very viable solution. I don't know, man. I feel like anybody that steps into the role of Kang the Conqueror, who for already now for about three years, people had built up this idea that Jonathan Majors was going to play this role. Yeah. I feel like that character now kind of has this this aura around mm-hmm. him that's always going to be associated with Jonathan Majors, even though they have let him go. Yes. Rightly or wrongly in in, in, in whatever situation you present him as. And, and, and I don't even know if any actor is going to want to fill that particular role just based on what's now associated with him as a person, as an individual, now that he has an harassment charge and an assault charge hanging over him. And of course, mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with the next person that steps into it. But it just feels like it's going to solicit these yeah. memories and this response from people like, oh, yeah, that that's the Jonathan Major situation. And now like, yeah, you know, now somebody else has to step into it and clean it up. And I don't even know if it's worth dealing with it. And and now after seeing Loki season two, where by the end of that show, spoiler alert, they have presented themselves an out to just completely ignore Kane. Like if you've seen the season two finale of Loki, there is a very reasonable solution to where we never have to mention that guy again. Like you do not feel the sense that he's built up as this huge potential threat coming into the future. They yeah. killed him in Quantumania. They mm-hmm. pretty much d- dispatched of him in Loki. So mm-hmm. the board is completely clear, and, and 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 it might be the biggest gift for Marvel if they decide to go in a completely different direction, almost an unintentional mm-hmm. response out of this whole thing because they did all of this work on Loki over a year ago before we knew any of this mess. And so uh, they might have just like perfectly been handed a solution mm-hmm. already. And I'm like, well, you know, it might just be a blessing in disguise. Use that shit. Take the sign mm-hmm. as like a sign to just say like, you know what? We're just going to completely pivot away. And one of the things that I said on on our on our um, most recent spaces that we did in, in reaction to the Marvel's movie is, is that it really, in my eyes, it only takes one great film to turn all of this around. I do not think it takes yeah. years and years worth of work, at least one film in the context of this story. They've had mm-hmm. great films, even in the midst of these troubles that they've had. Mm-hmm. But it takes one great film in the context of this overarching narrative to get people back on board. We never really saw Thanos before Infinity War. We saw like three seconds of that guy. Mm-hmm. And the first 10 minutes of Infinity War proved to us why he is the villain that he is, why he is such a big bad. And for the rest of that movie, Thanos immediately became the greatest villain that they ever conjured up. Like it just took that one film. And I think the same can be applied here, whether it's Doom or somebody else. I don't know what the fuck it's going to be, but it really just takes one great film with some great writing and some great development to just get everybody to say like, oh, shit, we're back on board Mm -hmm. for wherever the MCU is going to go to the point of Doom. I think that that is probably the the most logical next step. I -hmm. agree with you that that is the apex. But I also think that they will be rebooting after Secret Wars. I do think that that's going to happen. And mm-hmm. and and if Doom is 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 the way to get there, then yeah. by God, by God, we've done it. Twenty years of the MCU, hell of a run. Time to start over. Twenty <laughs> years is a long time in Hollywood for anything time. to to yeah. be successful. And so, if that's the way that they go, then that's the way that they go. I don't think it's mm-hmm. necessarily going to be a terrible thing. Um, if as long as they can make it great. And I do feel like that. You know, the past few weeks. All these reports that have come out, the, the the changing writers and directors on Kang Dynasty, we don't even know if it's called that anymore. It all feels like that they're getting away from Kang 
in general. And, mm-hmm. and, and apparently, you know, according to The Hollywood Reporter, they're only calling it Avengers 5. They're not even calling it Kang Dynasty anymore because that just might not be the movie. But, you know, mm-hmm. Destin Daniel Crenton moving on from the project, Michael Waldron, you know, stepping like all of that stuff just kind of signals to me that they were prepping to do this anyway. Like mm-hmm. Quantum Mania was just not it for them. And we know that that was like supposed to be the big moment for Kang the Conqueror. And they probably already started having those conversations of like, well, maybe maybe this isn't the way to go. Maybe we should consider other routes and other options. And then obviously this whole trial situation just accelerated the process. You know, they had mm-hmm. to just by necessity. And so we don't know what's going to happen, but it'll be interesting. Um, I, I do also just want to ask you, too, just about, you know, pulling back a little bit more from Marvel, just like the future of Jonathan Majors in Hollywood in, in any capacity, because um. This this is tough to live with. I mean, there's so yeah. much to think about and so much to unpack. But what what do you think about just his future prospects? Is, is he is he going to have an opportunity for redemption? Will will he be able to to go through a rehabilitation stage and, and repair his image and maybe maybe get these opportunities to come back across him again? There's also that whole other movie from Searchlight, also owned by Disney, Magazine Dreams, which mm-hmm. got taken off the calendar. I don't know if we'll ever see that movie now, just That's based crazy. off of the the news that came out today, right? Mm-hmm. And so, what does that look like? other roles and and also just the idea of if he is to go through some sort of redemption or rehabilitation like what do you think about the idea of you know hey he's gonna have this hanging over him for the rest of his life in some capacity are we as people are we gonna be you know in in a space or a situation to where we can kind of separate the art from the artist and just look at look at his work for what it is because we kind of had to do that with Loki when we didn't know what was going on we just Mm -hmm. had to judge the performance without all the facts what what do you think about even just that idea being a part of the career, a part of his career, I mean, at least for the immediate future. I, I know, at least in terms of what his career will look like, just thinking about Will Smith already and somebody who didn't get convicted of anything, <laughs> who just publicly smacked some money on TV, getting blackballed in roles and things like that and all this talk around him makes it triple scary for me for, for Jonathan Majors here in this situation because... Um, I think I think there are paths where and Will Smith is a huge star. You know what I'm saying? This is one of the kings of Hollywood that was going through this treatment. Jonathan Majors was on his way there, right? We seen the potential, we seen where he was going, but he never hit that. And so this happening at this moment, I'm afraid for him. I am spending a year in jail and getting out and then saying, Okay, I still want to act. What do I do? I can't imagine anybody bracing to go pick up Jonathan Majors for any kind of project no matter what he auditions for it can't look good Uh, you know what I mean like it can't I can't imagine anybody being excited to pick him up and so that's my one of my first thoughts about that is like dang Jonathan I don't I really don't know because being blackballed to me in Hollywood looks so different for so many different people but if Will Smith (laughs) you know what I'm saying if that's happening to him I can really only imagine what that's going to look like for Jonathan Majors. And that's something I'm, I'm keeping in the back of my head right now, of what that could look like. But it's also dependent, my second point, it's also dependent on, I think, what it does look like when he gets out, right? What does his public image look like? Is he apologizing? Is he, you know what I mean? Is he not supposed to apologize? What does rehabilitation really look like for somebody of that stature? Do uh, Not only that, but as kind of you mentioned, you mentioned separating the art from the artist, Almost by that same token, what does it look like to to forgive? Is this automatic cancel culture? Do does he apologize and we say we forgive you? What is what does forgive culture look like? You know what I mean? If there's cancel culture, at what point 
do we look at whatever situation he was in this this relationship thing going on and we say oh you apologize you're working you, we can clearly see you're working on yourself let's give you a role and i feel like all of that feeds into itself so i don't you know what i mean i don't know it's i, I think there's a lot to, to take away and to think about there but i it's it, i just know it's looking grim and scary in terms of his career moving forward um especially again as a black man if it was ezra miller we wouldn't even be here we would not be here. We would not be having this conversation if this was Ezra Miller. But it's not. And so it's 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 it really is, I think, a slippery slope and a tricky situation when it comes to whatever his career will be made to be. Um and again, I still don't know what that looks like, but I do know it's scary and I, 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 I don't I don't really know what to make of it. Part of me just is like, we'll have to see when it happens. We'll have to see how people react, right? Or people or, or is he gonna be condemned? <laughs> Is is he gets out in the year and and are people gonna be like oh Jonathan Majors is out or are people gonna go, oh Jonathan Majors is out like you know what I'm saying those are two very different tones uh, and so I, I'm I'm very curious um, what that looks like and I think whatever that tone that is will help us indicate really the future of his career um, and, and and I think hopefully he has public relations whoever lawyers can help him I don't know help him get back to whatever he needs to get to um, in terms of his career but I just don't know man I don't. So a, cu- a couple things. So um, we, we do still have to see what his sentencing is going to be, like what, it, what his punishment is actually going to be. We don't know if he's going to go to jail for a year or not. We don't know if he's going to serve any jail time. He possibly could not. He could just do community service and maybe um, therapy. I don't know. We, we don't know what that's going to be. So we'll, we'll have to see what the actual punishment is for this, especially since he's been acquitted of two crimes uh, or of two charges, but also found guilty on two other charges. And I do want to like to go back to the Ezra Miller point which is such a just I mean all of this is just so tricky because the thing about Ezra Miller is that he never he was never charged and had to go on trial for anything like that's the reality about his situation he ultimately confessed guilty to some of the crimes that were accused against him and he also he also settled several of his situations out of court and and Jonathan Majors did not take that route and so yes I think the company of, of of Warner Brothers DC Maybe not taking action a little bit quicker um, is something that we can examine. But also, if we want to be fair about it, you know, Disney, I actually think that Disney and Marvel kind of followed this procedure with Jonathan Majors in the best way possible. They didn't make a decision yeah. off of off of allegations. They waited. And and I think that they they made the right call and they waited until the verdict came out. And I think that they handled it appropriately. No verdict could ever be held against Ezra Miller because he never went to court for anything. You know, that's just something that we just have to exist with those stories. And he also did, you know, confess to them and and, and agreed to do certain things like community service and and other, you know, uh, uh, forms of service in in whatever ways that they came to. Mm -hmm. Um, And he didn't do any press for The Flash either. You know, they they did not allow him to do this whole (laughs) press tour and have this celebratory moment. I mean, he walked on the red carpet for like two seconds and had to just immediately disappear. And... For my money, he won't be back as The Flash because regardless of how they were going to handle that situation, the movie fucking flopped anyway. Nobody went to see it. And so people kind of voted with their dollar. We don't care about that character. We don't care about that actor. So I don't think they'll be back regardless of of what all happened outside of that. Um, with Jonathan Majors, obviously, though, I mean, this was very high profile, went to court, you know, in New York City, also different jurisdictions on how they handle things. That, that, that plays into it as well. Sure. And so now with whatever the punishment and rehabilitation looks like i just say that in whatever he has to do whatever time he has to serve if any if he does it then i do think he should be allowed to be 
redeemed in some in some capacity if he is actually able to overcome whatever whatever he's going through if he serves out his his sentence of, of whatever that looks like um if it's if it's all genuine which we can not really know anyway but if it's all genuine then give the guy a shot i mean there have been way worse crimes in hollywood from way worse people i mean true. john wayne piece of shit had a great career uh roman polanski terrible yeah. guy had a great career and great movies and, and i think that that kind of ties into my point about separating the art from the artist, like if Jonathan Majors eventually goes through everything that he has to go through as a part mm-hmm. of this this guilty verdict, then I'll look at the rest of his work if he has if he has work and just say like, okay, well, you know, what he did was terrible in his personal life, but I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this for what is it what, for what it is as a piece of work, and I I I can do that, and 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 I know that that's a part of me, but you know, if people don't find that within themselves, that's also totally reasonable. That that is not a crazy thing for somebody to say like you know what, I don't even want to have anything to do with that guy. I don't like that he was convicted of that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's that's something I can't support. That's totally fair and fine. I, and I think that you have to be okay and accept that either way. Um, but for the people in power and the businesses and, and the folks in charge in Hollywood, I agree. It's really grim for him as a black person who hasn't fully established himself. He was on the ascendancy. So the actual opportunities that'll come in the way of, of, of what his career looks like in the next few years. I mean, history has just shown us that it's probably not going to be a, a, a great outlook for him. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's tragic and unfortunate because he is talented despite yeah. how you might personally feel about him. So it's overall just, it's a big mess. Um, it's, it's really crazy that we've ended up here. And uh, now we just have to kind of sit back and see what happens next. I know Marvel was the big question. Mm-hmm. He pretty much has lost everything else already. And so Marvel mm-hmm. was like the last linchpin in this whole equation. We'll just have to see what they what they decide to do next with uh, with the with the future of their MCU and the future of this saga, whether it's going to be Kang or a different character or whatever. I don't know. We, we, we just we're just going to have to sit back and wait and see because they probably don't even know themselves yet, but um, we'll we'll keep an eye on this. And, and as new developments break, as new things come out, we will certainly come back and revisit this conversation. But let's go ahead and move on and actually get to the reviews of the films that we have recently f- seen. First, starting off with the brand new origin story about one of cinema's most iconic characters, Wonka. I've spent the past seven years traveling the world perfecting my craft. You see, I'm something of a magician, inventor, and chocolate maker. So quiet up and listen down. Nope, scratch that, reverse it. Mr. Wonka, I can see you're a man of great ingenuity. What are you doing? I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? Dark, white, nutty, absolutely insane. Many people have come here to sell chocolate. They've all been crushed by the chocolate cartel. You can't get a shop without selling chocolate. And you can't sell chocolate without a shop. No daydreaming. What are we gonna do, Willie? Huh. Huh? Huh. A double huh. Do you have a pencil and paper? Uh-huh. I got an idea. I know things haven't been easy for you. They're gonna get better. You promise? I pinky promise. That's the most solemn vow there is. Where do we start? A good chocolate chip is simple. Where's this? It's just weird. What's happening? Oh, that's a chocolate that makes it fly. Well, let's find out, shall we? Who's for a hover job? <laughs> Nothing to see here. Just a small group of people defying the laws of gravity. Ladies and gentlemen of the gallery gourmet, my name is Willy Wonka. He's good. Too good. 
pretty sure I've gained about 150 pounds in the last two weeks. You could change her life, Mr. Walker. Change all their lives. Run away! Every good thing in this world started with a dream. So you hold on to yours. Here we go, Mama. Mark my words! This is gonna be the greatest chocolate shop the world has ever seen! You're the funny little man who's been following me. I will have you know that I am a perfectly respectable size for an Oompa Loompa. An Oompa what now? Allow me to refresh your memory. Oh, I don't think I want to hear that. Too late. I've started dancing now. Once we've started, we can't stop. Now, this film is directed by Paul King, and it's written by Simon Farnaby and Paul King, and it's starring Timothy Chalamet, Kayla Lane, Keegan-Michael Key, Patterson Joseph, Matt Lucas, Matthew Bainton, Sally Hawkins, Rowan Atkinson, Jim Carter, Natasha Rothwell, Tom Davis, Olivia Coleman, and Hugh Grant. So I don't really need to say that Willy Wonka is just like one of the most recognizable characters in movies. Of course mm-hmm. he is. That film from the 70s with Gene Wilder, I think, has been uh, really ingrained in our consciousness for so long now. Yes. I know that at the time it wasn't necessarily a massive hit, but just due to cable and re-releases and Shit, for me school. personally watching that movie in school a lot <laughs> that became the way that it just grew into this phenomenon over over decades and decades and uh they've done sort of a reboot before tim burton made a movie with johnny depp mm-hmm. back in 2005 i believe it was so now this is the third live action adaptation of the willy wonka character which is of course also based off of a book from ronald Dahl. And Timothy Chalamet, one of the, I think, one of the biggest sort of up-and-coming actors in the world, stepping into this pretty big character, this pretty big pre-branded IP. Um, this is something we've known about for a couple of years. We've we've slightly talked about it and what it might ultimately look like and what the film might be. But we finally got a chance to go check it out this past weekend to see what this vision was behind Wonka. And so uh, with all of that out the way, man, I'll pass it over to you. What did you think about this new film, Wonka? You know, this is a, a film that was so hard to really get excited for. Uh, <laughs> just the nature of, of everything surrounding it. I don't know what it was, man. I, I really like Timothy Chalamet, so I really can't say it was him, but maybe it's a combination of Timothy Chalamet <laughs> and Wonka and maybe what the trailer was. I don't know. I was never just all the way into this movie. I knew I would see it. Uh, big, 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 big fan of the original uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but when when I'm hearing news about this thing coming out, I'm like, okay, what is this going to be? What does this mean? Is Timothy Chalamet, you know, are we? Part of me thought we were going to do this whole thing over again by some ways, and then you find out it's a prequel. And you're like, okay, there could be something there, and I just don't know, man. Uh, so it it was it, it was one of those weird things that I didn't know where to place it in terms of excitement. I will say, um, so I, w- I went into the the theater with pretty low expectations. Um, they were may- maybe even medium medium expectations because I love the original so much. Um, so maybe medium expectations. I wanted to see what could be done, and they did exceed them um, a little bit. Not not they didn't exceed them tremendously, <laughs> but they did exceed them for me. Uh, I, I had a pretty good time with Wonka. Timothy Chalamet surprised me on a lot of different fronts. I think, um, but by the things that he he were, uh, was able to do, one of course sing the way he was able to and dance the way he was able to. I had never seen him in anything like this, and I think he did a decent job doing a lot of those things. Um, I actually really like one of the opening numbers 
And I was like, Timothy Chalamet, what? Where, where's all this coming from? You know, we had seen him in all these other crazy dramas. Timothy Chalamet isn't known for musical work, nor has he ever been on like the, the a super poster child for Hollywood either. Again, he had been doing all these smaller kind of uh, uh, art, more artsy films. And so it was kind of cool, I think, seeing him be a star. And that's what it felt like when you're watching it. Like, oh, this is Timothy Chalamet's sh- shot at being a star. And so I, I, to be honest, for for him in particular in this movie, I quite enjoyed him um, in the film, if, 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 if anything. Wonka as a movie, it was fine. Um, they were hitting a lot of beats that I feel like I had seen before uh, in our immediate reaction out of the theater. It felt like a Christmas movie to me. Um, and I think that's okay. Like, it's fine. But uh, uh, one of the things about that is I think that the original just has is almost every song sticks with you in the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Fact. Like, every song you're like, dang. Everybody knows the Oompa Loompa song. Everybody knows, you know, like it's just so many songs that keep coming back. And in watching this, I couldn't really place that too many times. You know, I've I've had new musicals that I like. I'll leave the theater and start singing <laughs> songs that I know. And unfortunately, even the theater, shoot, Jordan knows I'm singing an old, uh, old Willy Wonka song and, not, and nothing that was new. You know what I mean? And so I think the music. Though all of the numbers were fine, though some of the some of the things uh, it, musically were fine, it wasn't enough to stick with me. And I think the music could have used some uh, some some a little more heavy hitter uh, energy when it when it when it came to to, to the numbers in the film. Uh, so that's one of the thing one of the takeaways. Other thing, supporting cast. Um, there are four or five other characters that don't deal with. Uh, the, the main two characters that are um, on the side of Timothy Chalamet, uh, uh, Wonka, and another character, uh, what was her name? Noodles? Noodles? I think it was her name. Uh, Noodles, I think, is her name. <laughs> There's a couple characters that kind of just fell by the wayside. You knew their purpose. You knew what they were there for. Uh, but beyond a, a couple of, of laughs and funny moments, they didn't really have too much to do, unfortunately. Who I did actually like was uh, the antagonist. There are three antagonists in the, in this film. Um, I thought they they did a a, a decent job. Um, particular Patterson D. Joseph. I really liked him. I thought I thought he was doing what he had to do on screen. He has he had to play this obnoxious <laughs> chocolate uh, uh, CEO, and and I think um, he was very pretentious. And I think I, I really liked his performance. So he was one of my favorite parts as well um but the story again it just felt like something i had seen before it felt very generic they were hitting a lot of the beats um that that i feel like i've seen before but it did have a lot of heart and it did have a lot of charisma and it felt like something that once it's on tv in like a year two years it's going to be like oh wonka's on tv it's christmas time is i think one of the takeaways i have from this film like oh yeah we've seen this movie before and so wonka's fine um it, it was cool you I'll, you laugh a little bit you might get a heart to heartstrings tugged at a little bit uh but but overall it was just okay and i think though it exceeded my expectations i was still you know i i I still wish they they produced more i think in this film um other than that i think it it looked pretty good for the most part it was that a lot of that stuff was fine the only other thing i want to mention is the oompa loompa which was like kind of not hitting for me (laughs) how it was supposed to it was like they wanted it to be funny but 
he kind of wasn't just funny at all um, in any of the scenes he was in. Uh, and, and, and yeah, and that's unfortunate. Even in the trailer, I knew that from the trailer. I was like, that's not a funny joke. <laughs> What's going on? Like, that's the trailer and it's not funny. How you think I'm going to film in the movie? And it did definitely carry over to the film. And so I appreciate them, I think, adding some lore to the Wonka universe. Shout out to uh, um, 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 the writer. I always forget the writer. Ronald Dahl, right? Uh, who is also wrote Matilda and, and all these other things. You could feel the book in the movie. I appreciate that as well. But again, I think as, as a film, some things just fell flat. Um, while I think other things did uh, 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 exceed my expectations. So I'll get right to it with Wonka. I, I did not like this movie. I thought that this was a complete misfire for the most part. The one thing that I was looking forward to, as I mentioned in our immediate reactions, was the fact that Paul King was the director. And Paul King has made the Paddington movies, which are some of the most joyful and great movies of the 2010s. They are just such a treat. And the second one is even better than the first one. So you just know that this guy knows how to make material that can strike an emotional chord with you and make you feel that sense of wonder and awe and make you kind of feel childlike. And so that was the one thing that kind of got me excited like maybe this could have some potential to it but after seeing the movie none of that landed for me at all this film is a full-blown musical there's like 10 or 12 musical numbers they never marketed that by the way which is just so interesting to me because hollywood has completely abandoned marketing musicals because they know that people just don't like musicals look at the mean girls trailer and none of the numbers are memorable at all i think a lot of those numbers fall flat they aren't songs necessarily that you're going to be singing or remembering. As you just noted, you walk out singing the most notable song, which comes from the original, which is Pure Imagination, which they save until the end. I'll give them credit for that because that has the most emotional resonance. But every other musical number, which comprises a large majority of this film, just completely fl fell flat for me. But my biggest gripe with the film is the fact, and this is probably just a personal problem. I, I can admit that is the fact that the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory movie inherently has some darker themes and is a little bit more of a cynical approach to this entire world, especially in the performance of Gene Wilder, who says some kind of crazy shit. He's a little condescending. He talks down to the kids and to the parents. You can feel that sense of darkness and almost that mean-spirited nature in that character while also still presenting that that sense of joy and wonder and the fact that he loves what he does, but he's also looking for kind of a way out and a successor. You feel all of that in his performance. And so when you see Timothy Chalamet in this role, which this is supposed to be an origin story for a character that we know so much and know so well, mm -hmm. it's the total opposite. You don't get any of that in this character. This is just a guy who knows magic. He's always in good spirits. He's very jokey and quippy. He's very much ready to sing and, and, and establish relationships. He's way too trusting and way too naive. It just feels completely dissimilar to what Gene Wilder did in that original movie. And yes, I hear you right now. Like, yes, they're trying to do their own thing. This isn't necessarily supposed to be a direct prequel. It's kind of its own standalone film that takes place in a different continuity altogether. I totally get and buy that. But I think just the, 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 the thing that we have to remember and understand is I think a part of the reason why that original film hit so well is that, is that it does have some of those undertones of darkness to it. It isn't all just 
jokes and quips and comedy and music Mm -hmm. like there's actually like some real stuff underneath the surface of like this character like oh i want to know more about willy wonka he seems super mysterious why is he acting that way for this guy who's supposed to be the poster boy for chocolate the greatest chocolate in the world (laughs) he has this amazing factory he has all the chocolate at at his disposal but he doesn't seem happy and that's a real thing that they don't ever explore really in this movie at all. And I think that that's something that makes the character who he is. And, and, and by the time I walked out of this, I was just thinking like, well, they they kind of made this movie completely for kids. And, and I think kids could enjoy this. But I don't even know if that's true, because the kids that were sitting next to me and in front of me mm-hmm. had no reactions to this movie at all. Like at any point during the film, they, they, they had literally no no reactions, no laughter, no anything. And I was right there with them because I'm like kind of bored by a lot of the material and, and and overall it just felt like something that really lacked the imagination of what I what I would hope out of Willy Wonka material in particular and so at this point after watching the Tim Burton film which is not great and then watching this film which I is not great <laughs> them adapting this character over and over for different generations just hasn't worked thus far and that's not to say that it can't work in the future but so far I haven't been proven that there is a truly interesting take to get me to buy into like why we want to know more about Willy Wonka as a person outside of what we already saw in the original. Exploring a backstory, an origin story, how he rose to prominence and came to be who he was. That's an interesting premise. You could do a lot with that. But at no point do we see like why this guy becomes who he is, why he kind of starts to break bad a little bit. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe if they get a sequel, which they probably will because the movie's doing pretty well right now, maybe if they get a sequel, they can decide to potentially go down those darker paths i'm not saying that i'm going to be here for it and support it but that is something that i guess that they could create runway for in the future but with this one if this is supposed to be everything that you put behind a movie and you want us to get us to 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 really buy into a story it just it just it just didn't work for me it just um it's missing a lot of those darker elements which i think are really really integral to the character and to this mythology the music which is what they hugely focus on doesn't do anything for me and a lot of the supporting characters are kind of forgettable. There's some really good, talented people here, and none of them really stand out. To your point about Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa, I, I don't think that that hits because he he hated filming this. He, he just talked about the fact that he, he did not have a good time making this movie. And so if you're not going to have a good time on set, if you don't want to be there, then that's going to come through in your performance. Because mm-hmm. I can tell, buddy, you do not want to be in this fucking makeup and this green screen that you're probably acting against right now. And so... I, I I just don't I don't think that this is necessarily worth anything to 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 make your make 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 extra time out to go see. I think that this is uh something that they they should probably once again put away for a while and I don't know, perhaps one day somebody will have a really interesting take and they can try it again in the future, but at this point I hope not. But uh folks, those are all of our thoughts on the brand new film Wonka. If you check this out, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're gonna transition to our next film, a brand new, highly acclaimed feature film starring Jeffrey Wright. American fiction. How did you come to write this book? What really struck me was that too few books were about my people. Where are our stories? Where's our representation? Would you give us the pleasure of reading an excerpt? Yo, Sharonda, girl, you be pregnant again? If I is, Ray Ray is gonna be a real father this time around. Thank you. Your books are good, but they're not popular. Editors, they want a black book. They have a black book. I'm black, and it's my book. You know what I mean. Look at what they publish. Look at what they expect us to write. I just want to rub their noses in it. 
<laughs> I'd be standing outside in the night. Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack. You said you wanted black stuff. That's black, right? I see what you're doing. We sold your book. No. We believe Mr. Lee has written a bestseller. It's a joke. The most lucrative joke you've ever told. Now, is Stag a pseudonym? Yeah. Mr. Lee can't use his real name. Is this based on your actual life? Yeah, you think some bitch-ass college boy can come up with that shit? No, no. No, I don't. Can I ask what you were in for? Was it murder? You said that, not me. They ran 300,000 copies. Your books changed people's lives. They're offering $4 million for the movie rights. Yes! The dumber I behave, the richer I get. This has gone too far. Stag Arley is still on the run for authorities. You haven't done anything. It's not like they can arrest you. Wish I could go back to not selling books. Is it bad to cater to people's tastes? People want to love you, Monk. You should let them love all of you. There's already so much buzz because of the movie deal. Michael B. Jordan is circling. We want to put him on the cover in one of those, um, uh, scarves, I guess you would call them, tied around his head. A do-rag? Do-rag, that's it. Do-rag and a tank top with the muscles showing. Oh, something called the fire department. <laughs> We're thinking we can get it out in time for Juneteenth. Now, this movie is written and directed by Cora Jefferson, and it's starring Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross, Issa Rae, and Sterling K. Brown. So American Fiction is actually based on a book that came out in 2001 called Erasure by Percival Everett. They decided to adapt that book and make it into a movie. And the film American Fiction premiered earlier this year at the Toronto Film Festival and it won the People's Choice Award. So it had a lot of momentum behind it after it premiered at the film festival. And it once again sort of gained additional momentum once they were able to acquire a distribution deal through Amazon and MGM. Now it's experiencing sort of a limited theatrical release before eventually expanding wider, I believe, next January. But we got a chance to go check this out and see what we thought about this movie. And so uh, with all of that out the way, man, I will pass it over to you. What did you think about this new film, American Fiction? So I'm going to read the the synopsis for this movie real quick. Uh, Thelonious Monk Ellison writing writing career has stalled because his work isn't deemed black enough. Monk, a writer and English professor, writes a satirical no novel under a pseudonym aiming to expose the publishing world's hypocrisies. The book's immediate success forces him to get a deeper enmeshed in his assumed identity and challenges his closely held worldview. So this dude, he's a he's a scholar. He writes books, but they don't sell that well. What does sell well is when 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 books are overly in your face kind of in a lot of ways black trauma or black uh stereotypical uh, stereotypical very again in your face blackness maybe like hood books you you know we might know them as like zane books or like you know what i mean things like that and people are eating those up but they're not paying attention to to his his other works that has nothing to do with all those things and so he is he again decides to write one he just he, just to mess around with people decides to write one of those stereotypical books and people love it uh, um and, and and it's really him balancing that how do you balance work that you think is is degrading <laughs> to black people 
um, versus, and you feel like you write some some amazing material that nobody pays attention to. How do you navigate that space and navigate that world? And, and, and really with that premise, I think American fiction is a very good study and a very good conversation that's being had um, um, in, 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 in the film. Uh, there is so many laughs <laughs> in this, but also because it makes you think about how true a lot of these things are and in, in, in what Monk as a character is going through, particularly as a, you know, as a, as, as a guy who did go to college, you know what I'm saying? He's, he, he's trying to separate himself from, you know, some of the things that we, we might see people pick up in, 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 even in, in mass. I know black people recently, we haven't been like, we do not like trauma porn. That is not our thing, right? Like a lot of us don't like 12 years a slave. A lot of us don't like <laughs> some other movies and things that are like that. We didn't like queen and slim. You know what I'm saying? Like, but what, what do you do when the world eats some of that stuff up? Um, and, and, and that's the way that may be your path forward to success. Again, I think I think they raised some pretty good. Uh, uh, it has some pretty good conversation within the material. Um, but it's not only about that. Monk Jeffrey Wright's character is also going through family things. He's trying to find new love. He's trying to 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 find ways to take care of his mom. He's trying to do all of these other things while having to deal um, with with the either successes or non successes of his career and so um i really like this movie i think it's really good i understand why you know this movie was getting the talks that it was again more than anything i appreciate the conversation that comes out of this movie i think there's a lot to talk about in here um i think all of the supporting cast was was doing good good work tracy ellis ross sterling k brown's really one of my favorite actors now Issa ray what she's doing is so important and to be honest i could not think of anybody else perfect for the role that Issa Rae plays in this movie. I was I was like, no, this literally, this is it. Like, it could not have been anybody else. Um, I think they picked her for a reason. But uh, uh, this film, man, I, uh, though I like it a lot, I don't I don't think it's perfect by any means. To be honest, I, I wish they did some, some more conversational things. I enjoy the normal family things, which is funny because that's almost, the film is almost talking about that, right? <laughs> like, Oh, you don't enjoy just a black family drama? I do, but I think the conversations that the movie was having, I wish we sat on those things more. I wish we talked about some of those things more throughout the film. I was like, dang, I love the family drama of this, but let's get a little deeper because y'all y'all touch on it. But like, uh, part of me doesn't feel like they brought it all the way home how they could have. Um, not only that, I wish they made some stronger choices by the way they shot it, to be honest. I think things are just being shot crazy right now. And I was like, uh-oh, I can't wait to, like, love the cinematography. And it was just it was just okay, you know? It was just like, ah, oh, it, it, it was shot all right. So I, I think I was looking for a little bit more there. But Jeffrey Wright is amazing. Uh, also one of my favorite actors right now. Jeffrey Wright is amazing. I think the the challenges uh, in, in this, this movie, the way it challenges the viewer, I think it's really good. I think that stuff is interesting. Um, it, it, again, it definitely po poses the interesting question of how people view blackness and what ways they consume blackness. I think that's so interesting. Um, in, 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 again, something that we're, we're, we're going to be talking about um, in the future for sure. So I really like this movie. Um, and yeah, man, I enjoyed it. So American fiction is something I've been looking forward to for, for a few months now. And I think one of the brilliant things about the marketing of this movie is the fact that it does present it as a more traditional comedy. 
And by the time we saw the film, I actually realized like, oh, yeah, there's laughs, but it's not really a comedy. It's about much more than that. It actually goes a lot deeper and, and I think leans more into drama, more so than anything. And, and ultimately, what this film is tackling is, is some really important conversations and dialogue about the existence of black art, how people consume black art in Hollywood and literature. It's looking at the, 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 those two separate industries and those two separate worlds through the specific prism of the character Monk as he is a writer who is sensitive about his shit, but he ultimately realizes that he has to make money. And the reason that this is a part satirical sort of look at the worlds of literature and Hollywood and how they examine and unpack black art, it's also about that family aspect because those two things are intrinsically connected for his character. He needs to make money in order to take care of his family and take care of his mother. And so that becomes his primary motivating factor. And the mm. fact that they were able to balance those, those two ideas and those two concepts for me in this movie is really, really impressive because I think easily it could have veered off into one direction and lost a lot of focus and a lot of sight on what the ultimate end goal was. But the fact that it was doing both and I think maintained that momentum through the movie is really impressive. But mm -hmm. to look at it from the aspect of, you know, the, the black arc piece, the fact that he is going to write this book that is overly stereotypical, leaning into these ridiculous these ridiculous ideas about black people and what we enjoy and what we can be and just mm -hmm. these over-the-top caricatures that he creates. One of the moments in the film where he sort of stumbles upon the idea and he actually taps into like what the book is going to be is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Favorite I won't part. give it away, but it's like a mm -hmm. it's like a yeah. really meta contextual commentary on what's happening in the moment. It features some cameo appearances by some actors that I really like, but that and the way that it was presented was just so brilliant because you can see him walking through this idea and rationalizing it. Mm -hmm. And 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 once we get into the real meat of the film and we start to talk about all those avenues and where it can go and he's starting to get the money and get the contracts and get the book deals and the film film deals, then it starts to expand the scope and now we're looking at Hollywood. And how Hollywood is going to take this material and unpack it and try to monetize it and, and, and make it a make it a big financial gain for them and and really building it off of the back of these caricatures and these stereotypes. And a lot of that reminded me of Robert Townsend's Hollywood Shuffle, which satirized a lot of stereotypes in Hollywood. Great movie. And you see what that can mean in a modern context as well. And I think that the way that this movie started to examine that and the fact that here's an artist, again, who is very much. He's very much consumed with the idea that his work is purposeful and that it should mean something and that it shouldn't do these quote unquote things that damage our community in terms of perception. Now he's faced with the question and the dilemma like, well, how far am I willing to go in order to sacrifice my work or the integrity of, integrity of my work for, for, fi for financial gain? And I think that that's a, a real conversation that many artists have to deal with and they have to contend with that, especially as you move up the ladder and you become more successful. Are you going to lean into doing certain things that you might not necessarily agree with, but for the sake of having an audience, for the sake of building a brand, and for the sake of providing for yourself, maybe it's the right thing to do in that moment. And you might cause some temporary backlash or disdain, whatever the case may be. And so there's a conversation between Issa Rae's character, who I agree is really, really greatly casted in that role. There's a conversation between her and Jeffrey Wright at the towards the end of the movie, which really brings home the entire idea. It's a necessary conversation that I'm glad that they included. And ultimately, you have to see the film for itself. But, you know, I think that there's value in, in all of these ideas that it's presenting. 
Um, but beyond that, when you look at the family stuff as well, I love just the, the 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 nature of how they presented these characters. There's a level of sensitivity that you have to that you really have to imbue with a lot of the characters, especially the mother who's going through some mental and, and, and you know physical challenges, his brother, his father, all that stuff, like what that means for their family and how it's affected them and how they grow up and how that informs their art and how they navigate and move throughout the world. Like all of that stuff was 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 pretty impactful for me as well. And Last thing I'll just mention is that I'm glad that Jeffrey Wright got this opportunity because we've seen him be in a ton of films. He's done great movies. He's often been supporting character. Sometimes he's been a lead of a movie, but I don't know if I can recall a time where he's been the lead. And mm. this is the opportunity for him to be the lead and yeah. to really just put the story on his back and carry it forward. And you really see the entire narrative through the character that, that he brought to life in Monk. And I, I think that that's just a great showcase for how talented he is because he's he's one of those underappreciated actors that I think we should talk about more because he is so good and he's so versatile and he's worked with a ton of incredibly talented directors. He's been in big franchise picks. He's done indie films. He's done animation, live action, everything under oh, the man. sun. He's built quite a career for, career for himself. And so I, I'm glad that now he's getting his moment to really kind of be the guy that we're talking about because he is the true undoubted lead of this movie. And so um, hopefully we'll see American fiction much more in the new year as we talk about award season it is nominated for a few golden globes oscar nominations are going to come out i hope it certainly gets some nominations there but we will certainly have to see but folks those are all of our thoughts on the brand new film american fiction if you check it out definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said we're going to move into the next portion of the show and uh kind of talk about the year of 2023 which um i think even by hollywood standards was a crazy <laughs> fucking year it was it ridiculous was. like it 2023 was was packed with a lot, but we're going to do the biggest winners and losers of Hollywood in the year of 2023. And so we'll go through our categories and talk about who we thought won in the year of 2023, but also who lost and maybe who could stand to maybe go back to the drawing board and, and try to come out with a better 2024 ahead of them. And there, there's a lot to unpack. One thing that I will mention is that, you know, of course, the elephant in the room all year has been the strikes, the writer strike, the actor mm -hmm. strike, just a historic time. There's not a specific winner or loser section dedicated to them because, quite honestly, we could do a whole episode on that. We've talked a lot about the strikes, and I think that that, that information is just inevitably going to come up in a lot of these conversations anyway. It's going to be kind of connected to a lot of these topics and just how it affected Hollywood and how it ultimately just impacted the entire industry. And so it'll, it'll be a part of this conversation and sort of weave in and out of these different topics, but I just want to call that out quickly. Um, but before we really dive in, man, just... What are your overall thoughts about the year 2023, how things were in the state of Hollywood between the movie industry, the film industry, mm -hmm. the things that we saw in front of this in front of the camera, you know, on, a, on the big or small screen, but mm -hmm. also some of the big stories that we saw behind the camera, some of the some of the successes or failures or trends that we noticed coming out of this year? I honestly think this is one of the most potentially pivotal years in in both the television and movie industry i really do i think we've learned so much um and so much was in in some ways kind of broken in hollywood but because of the strikes because of kind of some of these trends we're seeing what movies are successful because of uh, uh you know some of these other things i honestly feel like some things are also beginning to heal you know and, and, and it's not all bad it's not all good but i think a lot of a lot of what is happening will will eventually again and hopefully turn on the bright side. I think there's a lot to take away and a lot to learn. And I'm, I think I'm excited for future years because of that. This was the year 
in some ways that feel like the trenches, right? You know, post pandemic, this really feel like the year everyone was like all all in. Everyone was it, it was all steam ahead. This really feel like that first post pandemic time, and so I'm 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 really excited to see what we get from that, what the fruits of that labor, you know, means of this year. Again, you could tell it was hard for some people. For some people, it was very successful. And so now it's like, okay, what what, what do we do from here? Um, and, and hopefully things get better. But I think overall, for me, it felt like, dang, I think we learned a ton. You know, I feel like we learned more this year than we did last year. It really does feel like that to me because – there was so much happening and so much going down behind the scenes, uh, in front of the scene, like all of it. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really just looking, looking forward to, uh, uh, I, again, reaping the, the goods and the bad of this year, um, to propel us into future years of, of what all of this is supposed to look like. Uh, 2023 was a huge transitional year. And, and for lack of a better term, honestly, the chickens came home to roost. It was, it was time to finally address some shit in the industry and to really have conversations that have needed to be had for a long time just because so much has changed in such a quick and rapid fashion. Mm -hmm. And because we are really sort of on the other side of COVID for the most part, even though like shit is surging again, um, which is kind of crazy, but we are starting to see like what post COVID Hollywood looks like. And, and so that we can revisit these conversations that probably would have happened earlier if it wasn't for COVID. Now it was time to really get down to, 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 to the, to the reality of what was going to be, the, the 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 next few years like what the industry was going to look like and that was a lot of what the strikes were about like hey guys um streaming is a thing it's it's affected our pay it's affected our hours it's affected our ability to to earn and live we got to talk about that shit immediately right now because right now the system is not it's not treating us fairly and so that resulted in the writer strike and then of course the actor strike and residuals and the whole conversation about ai got brought up because we're obviously seeing that just pop up pretty much in every facet of society and that's becoming a really prevalent thing so that had to be discussed but you know conversely on the other side it, it was not a year without great successes it was not a year that that was not something that felt probably the most normal year that we've had in terms of Hollywood output since pre-COVID I, I do think that on a movie side of things this is the best year that we've had for movies since 2019 pre-COVID I think that we got some really, really strong films from this year from a lot of crazy legendary directors. Like, if you really just go down the list, we saw crazy. almost all of the greats come back. Scorsese, Anderson, Miyazaki, Nolan, Gerwig, David wow. Fincher. Like, the list goes on and on. It's a ridiculous output, and, and it was great. Television, for me personally, it wasn't, it wasn't as good as last year, but it was still really strong. And I think, you know, again... Part of that is due to the strikes, like a lot of stuff wasn't coming out in the summer and in the fall. We just didn't get a fall TV season at all. Um, but that that's as a result of things that needed to happen. And then, you know, even on a bigger scale, other industries, other workforces having to have these conversations, VFX workers, animators, everybody coming back to the table to say, like, all right, we just went through like the craziest shit of our lifetimes with the pandemic. Now, you know that we figured that out for the most part, we have to address how we're going to move forward and, and and continue to work and do what we love, but do it at a, at a rate that's reasonable. And uh, those were really important conversations that had to that had to get going. And, and, and a lot of shit is broken in, in many different facets, whether it's streaming or just the, the tentpole franchise model and the way that studios are overspending on stuff or just all of that. All of those things just have to be really reevaluated. And so I think um, 2024 and beyond are going to be really interesting years. I think I think we're kind of in a rebuilding phase for the next few years. I think uh, the next 
the next two to three are going to really kind of be those years where Hollywood is is putting the pieces back together, really figuring things out. And so that hopefully, you know, when we look back on this time, three, four, five years from now, we can say like, yeah, 2023 was tough in a lot of aspects, but it was something that had to happen because we had to get to a better place yeah. and, and and create better situations for people as well. And so um, overall, just a fascinating time and, and really a fascinating year to look at just all of these different aspects of, 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 of the industry. Um, but let's get to the list. Let's talk about these big winners and losers. And and honestly, as we go through this, like you can tell me disagree or agree, you know, whether you like maybe maybe one of these is like actually a winner, like by by happenstance, you know, perhaps it's a loss that can be turned into a win. There's mm-hmm. multiple ways to look at all of this stuff. But uh, the first big win, I think Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie are the hugest winners possibly of the year just due to the success of Barbie, which, you know, yep. became Warner Brothers biggest global film ever made one point four billion dollars at the box office. Uh, Greta Gerwig just firmly established herself as one of the directors in the industry. She co-wrote and directed really the biggest pop culture hit of the year with this film. And and Margot Robbie being a champion for her to bring her onto the movie, wanting her to direct it, just now established this partnership between these two that kind of made them unstoppable. And uh, I think that it just kind of showed, you know, the power of what a new IP could look like and, and new conversations could look like for people to get excited about, especially within this franchise model, which that's going to have its own talking point later. But um, how do you feel about Greta Gerwig, Barbie, just the year that they had them being, you know, again, one of the biggest winners of the year? They absolutely killed it. Um, and they are they are absolutely about to get all the recognition I think they deserve for Barbie. What's funny, always funny about Greta Gerwig, people always forget, like, she was a whole actress. <laughs> and she has turned into this this just directing beast uh uh and 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 she had they had some they had lightning in the bottle with barbie man they had an idea um and they executed and and not only executed but we talked about the marketing for this film at length (laughs) they were going crazy with the marketing for barbie and so this is this is not only a win for greta gerwig but as we discussed i think it can be a depending on how other people decide to look at this, this this can be a loss if they try to copy and paste exactly what they did. But it's a, to me, it's a win for the industry. If they study what it means to market movies again, what it means to, I think a love of a film and put it out there. You know, there's been so many big Hollywood blockbuster movies, not getting the push that Barbie was getting off of, you know, just, just uh, either off of laziness or it could be budget things, but Barbie, was able to do it in a way that felt like, dang, they not only want to market the movie, but they really care about this film. And I'm hoping that can carry over to a lot of other projects and different studios and, and, and people start to, uh, again, take notes on what Barbie just not just not did from a, a, a movie making standpoint, but what they did from, again, a marketing standpoint. So I absolutely agree. Winner, 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 chicken dinner, Academy Awards. We're probably going to see barbie uh uh, barbie portions of the show and i just know like we're not done hearing about barbie at least not yet um and and, and yeah i think that indicates what a success uh greta gerwig and barbie was for this year 
Yeah, it's it's obviously the movie story of the year. Barbie, Barbenheimer, Barbenheimer, Oppenheimer. Um, that 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 is just you know an anomaly that that comes along very rarely in just the context of of the industry. And I think ultimately, when you look at Barbie and the success of it, the the wrong lesson to learn, just like to put it out there, is to make more movies about toys. That's the wrong lesson. Please the don't. right lesson to take from Barbie is to present pre-branded IP films to visionary directors who have a take on the material that's interesting, that's enticing, that's different and unique. And then once you have that in place and once that's established and you got the script in a really solid place and you get to that conversation about the filming and the marketing, which all throughout its marketing from the very beginning, Barbie presented itself as something different. As soon as you saw that Stanley Kubrick homage, you knew Mm -hmm. like, this wasn't your typical Barbie movie. They're doing something that feels interesting and different. I want to check that out and see what they have to bring to this character. That's the right lesson to give these directors who have interesting and unique takes on these characters. They can come into these worlds and do something that feels fresh and, and feels distinctly their own voice. You know, Just because it's, a, it's an IP machine that already has a built-in fan base or fandom, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be interesting. It could still be interesting if somebody has a take. And I think that that's really the biggest takeaway from Barbie, which is why it was so successful and it created this cultural movement that people felt like that they were a part of. And we saw the results. It supercharged the box office. It did something that nobody predicted it would do. It became the biggest film of the year, literally. And so I I think it's it's an exciting time to know that those possibilities can happen. I, I fear that it might be an anomaly, but I'm hoping that just because of the power of Greta Gerwig and also Margot Robbie as a producer, mm-hmm. that we can even see more opportunities like this for women be presented yeah. and, and, to, and to know that they can they can absolutely take these hits and make them global box mm-hmm. office smashes. You know, now with Greta Gerwig, she's become the first female director to have a one billion dollar film at the box office. That's fantastic. Hopefully we can get more and more and more of those. You know, I think yeah. that's going to be a great thing for the future of Hollywood. But really, ultimately, like take the material, make it interesting. Anything can be interesting if somebody has a really unique and distinct mm-hmm. vision. Um, on the other side of things, a loser, I think, is Disney. The Walt Disney Company had a um, oh, yeah, just they had a they had a tough year. They had a really, really tough year. We talked a lot about it um, in 2019. Seven of their films that they released Crossed $1 billion at the box office. It was unprecedented. Just an absolutely historical year. You pretty much could look at them as a company and say, like, they're they're undefeated. They they are the strongest conglomerate that we've ever seen on the on an on an entertainment front. But this year, zero of their releases in 2023 even approached that threshold. The closest was Guardians of the Galaxy, had about $845 million at the box office. But Disney struggled. Um, a lot of their films underperformed, like Indiana Jones, Haunted Mansion, The Marvels. Um, we're going to revisit a lot of those as well later in the conversation. But also, when you look at their leadership and just like the, the challenges that they went through, Bob Iger, earlier this year, made those very questionable, unforced error comments about the strike, where he just said that stuff that just felt super tone deaf and just the wrong thing to say at that moment. Uh, not only that, Star Wars, I don't think is in the best place. Like, they have some okay stuff, but everybody's asking, like, well, where are the movies? Like, what's coming next on the movies? Can we get excited about a theatrical Star Wars run at any point in the future? We don't really know. And then even on a bigger macro context, there seems to be, like, this cultural war against Disney as a company. I mean, I see so much commentary from people on YouTube, the internet, people who write things, tweets, whatever the case may be. Just this uh, this idea of wokeness as a culture, how Disney has embraced wokeness over the years, and now, apparently, it's it's it's... It's basically caused them to have these uh, these misfortunes at the box office, that whole notion of go woke, go broke. I don't believe in that, but it is a thing that is being talked about uh, so much mm-hmm. so that 
South Park fucking talked about it in their show. They had the whole <laughs> Pandaverse episode, which uh, I do think is a pretty brilliant takedown of Disney, but it, it is what it is. Like, that's a conversation out there about the perception of them as a company. So um, what, what are your thoughts just on the state of Walt Disney, man? Just everything that they went through from the films that they put out to just also all of the the, the challenges that they've had as, as, a, as a company and their perception to the larger public audience. Ooh, they, they've been having such a struggle with, with not only leadership, but I think vision within that leadership that uh it's it's i can't say i'm 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 super surprised uh with any of it what i will say this year it's so interesting because at the top of the year in some ways you could have you could have thought like damn this is going to be a great year for disney and then everything started missing i mean just missing left and right peter pan and wendy what even is that um, you know what I'm saying? Like quantum mania. You even think, uh, uh, I mean, elemental was like kind of a win, you know what I mean? It's kind of a win, but in terms of how I feel critically about the movie, it's like, dang, I thought that was going to be something else. I was pretty excited for that as a Pixar fan and just wishing, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's been such a weird year for them. Uh, again, on paper, it all looks so good. Indiana Jones. It's just like, wow. I can't believe Disney ended up here uh and, and it's unfortunate i think we did kind of see some breadcrumbs carry over from previous years you know some th- some movies or tv shows that we talked about last year just like eh, disney we don't know what you're doing there was definitely a trend there but i was pretty hopeful for what disney could possibly uh, uh do this year and i think they they just they, they they're not ready yet um and i think you know the the I don't believe in the the pander thing either or the the go woke go broke thing either, but I think there are I think there's DNA of certain things that are ta- being talked about in that uh, uh, in that theme right in that conversation that's like okay maybe this part of that makes sense maybe that part of that makes sense and that's why it is what it is Disney right now feels like let's play the numbers game let's enter a movie in the AI and whatever it puts out we're gonna put it out because that's what it says makes money and they I think they see it's not working and 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 so uh i think they definitely lost across the board i can't this i I really i can't argue that like yeah they definitely lost across the board the only thing i will say is i think they can use this year to hopefully propel themselves in the future hopefully they do make changes to things coming out there are movies i think that they have coming that we can still hopefully and potentially look forward to um in, in in upcoming years uh and so but until then man Disney is definitely, unfortunately, on the shit list. It's just it is what it is um, until they can get it together. But we'll have to uh, we'll have to see what that looks like. I hope they can get it together. But they definitely got an L this year. Yeah, I mean, with, with any of these situations, especially in the case of Disney, all of these things can immediately change. Like a bad year doesn't equate to a bad existence. Like one good year could really turn this around. And 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 if anybody could do that, it is them as a company. Um, especially sure. with the leadership of Bob Iger, but. Also, at the same time, man, he might he might be wishing that he he stayed retired. I, I he he walked Probably. into some shit this year. Um, and 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 you know the the the, the behind the scenes challenges with the transition or lack thereof it has has unequivocally affected all of this stuff. You know, just the the handoff to Bob Chapik, um, some of the damage that he did to the company and to just like the perception of the company, which I don't fully blame him for he certainly has a lot of responsibility but he inherited some shit with COVID like nobody could have predicted that but then for it to go back to Bob Iger who has to right the ship and do do things to get it back in a better place and simultaneously create a succession plan because he is going to retire eventually um it's a lot to juggle and a lot to ask and also in in this day of age where the streaming boom that everybody thought was going to 
yield these results of massive money and massive subscriber growth, like now that we see that that's not exactly the case anymore, they're facing this harsh reality that all of their hopes and ambitions for certain models and financial things that they were going to really put all of their resources into might not have been the best decisions. And, and, and ultimately, it comes down to the quality of what we see on these big and small screens like that. That is the most important thing at the end of the day. Like you can look at the theme parks, the merchandise, all of that stuff is great and, and adds to the bottom line. But their core business is making movies and TV like that is that is the cornerstone of everything that they do. And if that shit's not good, then everything else is going to be affected by that. If nobody likes Wish, then you can bet your ass that nobody's going to go and see Wish in, in the theme park and be excited about it. Like that's not going to exactly. that's not going to reverberate across the company. And so they have to get that right. And I think that they suffered from a quality perspective for a long time now, for the past like four years, really since the advent of Disney Plus things have just not been great. I mean, we've gotten a couple of good examples, you know, Mandalorian first couple of seasons and or a few a few Marvel shows here and there. Maybe some movies have been well, but by and large, it's just not to the degree of which we hold them to and what you want to see out of a company that has just such platinum brands like Pixar and Lucasfilm and Marvel. Like there's just a huge expectation. So, I think I think it's going to it's going to definitely be a, a interesting 2024 for them. Um again, a few great movies can really get them back in in a, in a solid place. And who knows, maybe everything that they put out next year is going to be a home run. I don't know, but they do have to learn some hard lessons that, you know, perhaps some of the things that they thought were going to be those calculated, those calculated things that were going to be successful. Maybe they have to maybe they have to recalibrate and really, really think about what that's going to look like in the future, especially with these brands and these built in audiences. I think I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned. So we'll have to see. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the next winner that we have is is video game adaptations, which, you know, for the longest time. Video game adaptations, they just weren't good. They just flat out just the movies weren't good. The TV shows, if they had those, just were not good. Uh, but something's changing. Something's in the water. Um, this year was a real breakout year for video game adaptations. Of course, The Last of Us kicked off the year. Critically acclaimed HBO show, one of their most watched shows in the past decade. We also saw the huge, massive success of the Super Mario Brothers movie. The second highest grossing film of the year. $1.3 billion at the box office. Even Five Nights at Freddy's. A movie that I mm-hmm. like actively disliked made like a ton it. of money. It made two hundred and ninety three at the box, two hundred and ninety three million at the box office. So that just again sort of reinforces that built in fan base to want to see that and want to want to show up for that. Um, and and also the fact like it was streaming on Peacock the same weekend, and so that just kind of proves yeah, like nobody has Peacock. I don't think anybody has Peacock because if people knew, I didn't even know that it was on Peacock. Like I got home after we Me saw either. the movie and I was same. like. I did the same thing. I was like, I'm kind of mad at myself that I didn't know this. Um, but nobody really pays attention to Peacock. Um, but, you know, also other big wins. Gran Turismo, I just saw that recently. Great movie. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Three Thieves. Solid movie. Did, you know, not the greatest at the box office, but might be just enough there to, to greenlight a sequel. Um, mm-hmm. And Twisted Metal is also going to come back um, again on Peacock and have another season. So overall, we're just seeing a a bit of a boom for, for video game adaptations. And we know that there's a lot of projects Coming out in the future, another Last of Us season, God of War, um, Ghost of Tsushima is going to get an adaptation. There's a lot in the works for some big properties. Um, what's your outlook on just like how video game adaptations perform this year? Yeah, I'm going to add uh, Castlevania Nocturne to that hat, too, of, of winter uh, for this year. But <sighs> you said it. Something is in the water. Uh, it's it's what, what I've noticed also about a lot of these video game adaptations, um, at least some portion of the original creator like we know neil Druckmann was very involved with last of us at least like there's always like somebody who made the game that's very involved in the show 
or the movie that that gets it you know to to somewhat be successful even uh uh, uh even i know dungeons and dragons fans were like I like that. <laughs> and I think that also helped with the, the success, you know, of the film, uh, at least, you know, to, to some degree. And so you said it, man, something's in the water. The video game adaptations just seem like something that people want to see nowadays. They're 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 video games. I've been saying for the past couple of years in this bump in technology within video games, they've become playable movies. Um, and now that's making it easier to translate into the big screen when it does come to character moments. It's like, dang, somebody's kind of already acted that out <laughs> in a lot of ways. There was, you could play a video game like, dang, there was camera movement, blocking, lighting, like a lot of these things are existing in this game. Let's just move it to live action. And, and, and some, of the, some of that stuff is kind of just, you know, working out in that way. And, 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 and there are new stories to be told. And they're just doing a really good job of putting some of that stuff out. Uh, it's, it's not perfect yet, but I think... I think that the the model they have for video game adaptations is it's going up very rapidly, and a lot of stuff is about to come out that I think we're going to like um, as 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 consumers. And so I'm I, I'm just really excited uh, for video game adaptations. I never thought we'd be here, but here we are. Uh, there's a lot of uh, projects making me proud. Again, everything isn't perfect. I'm not in love with the superhero mother bar brothers movie, right? But you cannot deny that 1.36 billion at the box office. That is something <laughs> you cannot disagree with. And so, uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the future of video game adaptions, man. This is crazy. It's like, this is, this is, this is the beginning, you know, although there's like a different age of video game adaptations, but now this is, this is new birth. This is new growth. And I'm very excited for this beginning. I think there's something there, um, that, that people will be able to hold on to for a long time, but we just, they just got to keep the quality up, but they definitely won this year. Yeah, I mean, it, with anything, you know, I think it just proves if you have people that care about the material and take it seriously, look what we can do. It could actually be great, guys, like if we actually think about it and take it seriously, because some of these games necessitate that and they are inherently becoming more cinematic and they actually have actors acting out these scenes. You know, Troy Baker actually did motion capture for a lot of the stuff he does in The Last of Us. And so, like, yeah, it becomes, I think, easier to do that and translate that into a live-action space. But it all comes down to the creators and finding the right people who give a fuck about the material, regardless of how you may feel about it. I, again, will say it, you know, once more, Five Nights at Freddy's does not work for me. But I also know that I'm not the target demographic. Like, that's, that's mm -hmm. something completely past me. That's for a right. very specific demographic. And for many of them, it worked. And that's all that really matters. And so they got what they needed out of that movie and so we just have to always think about that for every adaptation everything doesn't also need to be a home run either i think that that's mm -hmm. important to remember everything doesn't have to make 1.36 billion at the box office and be yeah. one of the biggest matches like some of these things are inherently more niche products maybe smaller audiences maybe more mm -hmm. rabid fan bases and if that's the case then let's figure out how to make it work for that specific fan fan base mm -hmm. and so um there's a ton of opportunity and i think uh it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting because there's still just a swath of games we haven't touched where it's like i want to see what that looks like i want to see what they, they what they can achieve there um we haven't talked about this what do you think about the i mean we suspected it was going to happen the, the 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 legend of zelda movie that, that just got greenlit that became official what do you think about the decision to make that live action and not animated? Because I, I initially suspected, based on Super Mario Brothers, that Nintendo yeah. was going to like build mm. out animate, animated projects. It just felt like that, that was like the one that was going to work. Live action, I don't know about you, that kind of makes me, and I'm not like a huge Zelda fan, but I think that there's a lot there, but it kind of makes me a little bit more fearful and maybe a little bit more trepidatious about that, what that movie might look like. 
oh, I am a huge Zelda fan. I'm kind of, I've, I definitely feel some type of way. <laughs> I do not understand why we're going this direction. One of the draws of Zelda from game to game is none of them look alike. Like almost every Zelda game in some way looks pretty different, right? Versus like uh, uh, the the past two games we just got look the same, but those are like literally sequels of each other. They've all kind of taken different form and shape. And I thought, and, and it's not only that, it's also a slight disappointment that I, because I thought we were about to build out like this Smash Brothers universe animated movie thing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it starts with the kind of right Brothers. there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We start with the Super Mario Brothers. Here comes here comes Link, you know, with Zelda. Here we're gonna make an Earthbound movie with Ness in it. Like I just thought that's what was what was gonna happen. I thought that's what we're gonna do. And you're telling me this is live action. It's like, oh, y'all not going that direction. That's that's a kind of disappointing. I ain't gonna lie to you. I, I thought it was easy. Um imagine like animated Avengers in a Smash Brothers movie. Do you know how many people go to the theater to see a Smash Brothers? It's ridiculous. But I, I I just I yeah I don't I don't like it too much because one of the the charming things about Link as a character, one is he really doesn't say anything right he doesn't have a lot of lines he just kind of yells <laughs> a lot of times um, when he's like moving his sword and things and part of me wishes and part of me thinks that even like animation styles and a lot of the beauty around him he doesn't have to talk because there's always so much to look at or there's always somebody else to pay attention to. And and, and and I'm not saying a live action can't work. I'm sure there is a realm where they can make it look beautiful and this and that. But really, animation is a big part of Zelda games. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it, 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 I'm, I'm pretty disappointed by it. But again, I can, I can be swayed by a really fire-ass movie too. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it's really good, but right now, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. Man, I think... Um from from a business perspective, I because I agree with you, it, it's a bit confounding that it doesn't feel like we're gonna do multiple films that lead to that leads to like a Smash Brothers crossover situation. What are we doing? From from a business perspective, as a as a potential counterpoint, I think I'm kind of with the idea of Nintendo licensing out various projects to different studios because. Mm-hmm. Illumination and Universal made Super Mario Brothers. I believe Zelda's going to Sony, um, Sony Pictures, if I'm not mistaken. I think that that's the case. I could be wrong about that. But I know that it's a different studio than Universal. A part of me likes that idea just because they are, it feels like that they're focusing on finding the best partners possible for every individual project. Like, let's focus on just making a great movie before we ever explore the idea of cross-hatching any of these projects. Because if it was all just under the Universal banner... I think that that would kind of signal the idea that they were going to do some sort of connected universe, which, you know, also interests me. Um, But I do kind of like that idea to say, like, let's, you know, hand it off to the best partners possible. Let's let's give a piece of the pie to multiple people and see what their take is. Um, Creatively, I do also think that there isn't enough live action fantasy on the big screen these days. And so this could be a moment and an opportunity to take live action fantasy on the big screen to another level. We're doing pretty good in the TV realm. House of the Dragon, Lord of the Rings, you know, works for a lot of people, not for me, but for a lot of people. But the big screen has kind of been absent of it. The Harry Potter franchise has not done what it's needed to do. Um, we are going to get an animated Lord of the Rings movie this year in theaters. I'm very excited about that. Very excited. But I yeah. think 
Yeah, that's gonna that that should be great, hopefully. But um, live action fantasy has kind of been absent for the most part, um, with a few example or a few exceptions here and there. And so this could be a chance to to build something big, create a big moment. I'm you know I, I think that that's a possibility. But I am I am still wondering like, okay, live action Zelda that that's not the project that I would have predicted would have gotten the live action treatment. I just would have I would have put five dollars down like yeah, that's gonna be animated, no doubt about it. So it is yeah, it I don't is know Sony, mm-hmm. but like. We just did Spider Verse Zelda. Oh man, I just I, 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 oh, if it was Sony Animation, oh man, wow, the possibilities there. Oh man, man that could have been just, crazy. Yeah, but I, I I see what you're saying though, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it, it like you said, if it's fire, then you know we can just forget about this conversation. But um, Absolutely, it's interesting, yeah. you know. Ho- hopefully, hopefully, you know they're 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 leading with their minds and they kind of know what they're doing. But um, mm-hmm. let's move on to another loser. Um, and we we've talked a lot about this year. Uh, Marvel and DC both combined, I think, had just big massive L's uh, this year uh, across the board. You know, a few wins here and there, yes, no doubt about it. Not just unequivocal losses, but uh, for the most part. These two companies, these two brands are not what they used to be, um, particularly Marvel. We know DC has struggled for a long time, but Marvel, um, for the first time, really started to take some some significant hits on their chin um, and some 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 real blowback from from the fans and, and from critics just all across the board. Um, we saw at the box office, the films did not perform to what we thought that they would. Quantumania underperformed. 476 million at the box office the marvels is now undoubtedly the lowest grossing mcu movie of all time which is i just would not have predicted that coming into 2023 they did have guardians of the galaxy volume 3 which was which was a huge hit for them great success but that was also wrapping up a trilogy and they lost james gunn to dc um and we just saw dc across the board crash and burn at the box office all year long i mean and I don't think Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is going to be any different. There's no heat around this movie. There's no conversation, no buzz. Like, I looked at movie showings the other day, and I hate to say it because I, I, I love that first movie and I'm a fan of James Wan, but, man, there's showings on Thursday and Friday night with, with one seat booked in the theater, and I'm just like, yo, what's going on? This <laughs> is just crazy. like, this is different right now. You know, nobody cares about this movie, and I think mm-hmm. nobody really cares about DC because a lot of people know they're about mm-hmm. to reboot in a couple of years with Superman and what James Gunn is going to do, but... Um, comic book films, by and large, just had a really, really tough year. Um, again, the chickens came home to roost, and I think some of those bad habits, some of those bad things and qualities that we saw and that we started to question a few years ago, like, oh, that VFX doesn't look great. Oh, that story yeah. feels undercooked and half-baked. Oh, why Why is this cameo here all of a sudden? This feels mm-hmm. just like, as James Gunn would call it, cameo porn. Um, it feels like a lot of that really kind of bore fruit this year and just, you know, in the worst ways possible. So, well, what's your outlook on just like what we saw at both Marvel and DC from this year? DC in particular, I mean, Warner Brothers has been on fire <laughs> in a lot of different ways. And I think, you know, that is definitely showing for them across the board. They they they've kind of been going through going through, you know, things for a long time. The David Zaslav of it all, the they they it is what it is. I think on the DC side, we've 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 kind of seen this for a while. And I think we've been disappointed in DC for a while again a couple wins here and there but mostly again stuff that has nothing to do with the dc uh uh that has nothing to do with like those other dc movies right between the, the batman and joker we even animated like we didn't never have problem with any of those things particularly the dc eu that seems to be on fire with warner brothers and so uh again that just is what it is it's kind of been like that for a little bit now um and and i'm i'm just excited for a reboot at this point um which is probably a lot of people probably feel like that and it's like aquaman why would i go see that <laughs> with to your point what you just said so man marvel 
just unfortunate. Um, uh, we talked about this at length too. Really, the uh, a big catalyst is the Disney Plus of it all, though it did carry in uh, a lot of it is just carrying over to other avenues of their work, and they have had other random things going on. Um, the, the Victoria Alonso stuff, the visual effects stuff. Now the Jonathan Majors of it all. It's just all all crazy um and it and what's funny is you know you look at guardians of the galaxy and it's like of course james gunn can produce for them and we're losing him unfortunately uh marvel is losing him um, uh, unfortunately to to go to dc but i think in saying that it gives you hope for what dc can and hopefully will be um in the coming years i'm I'm pretty excited for it so i think i think dc is on the turnaround but they, I feel like wouldn't it be crazy some- if DC just became like like what Marvel was? Like, wouldn't it be crazy if like that one move, James Gunn, automatically just turned their fortunes around and they just like dominated for the next ten years? That would be like the craziest shit ever. And, and what's crazy is they uh, they've always had the potential, right? Like for a long time, I mean, Batman was it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like before yeah. before there were Spider Man <laughs> in 2000, it was just Batman. It was Batman. Like DC has always had the potential to be that. Um, they we've seen what happened with the Dark Knight trilogy. You know what I'm saying? Like they just have to get it together. And I honestly think that could be it. Uh, really, my hope is that they both can be great, of course, and be in conversation with each other. Imagine. So we know the year 2025, both the Batman 2 and Superman Legacy comes out. Imagine those are just two bangers. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think DC will like, I don't know, they'll uh, they'll mold into into something different, I think. But also imagine if Marvel in next year, let's say Deadpool hits and things just start to hit. I just want them to both succeed so bad instead of it's just been a war because DC hasn't produced, <laughs> you know what I mean, and, and 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 now it's a different kind of war because Marvel is is in a seemingly decline. At least the snapshot is there in a seemingly decline, and so I just want them to win. Um, but I, I, it's been an interesting and sad year for just superhero films in general with Marvel and DC. But uh, uh, this is another one of those things where Marvel took a step back. We know they're coming out with one movie in particular next year. To me, that's looking up. That's upward trajectory. You're taking a step back, looking at things. That's upper trajectory to me. That's like when Frank Ocean goes missing for a long period of time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know whatever is going to come out on the other side is usually pretty good. He's Frank Ocean. He's an artist. And so hopefully that's what Marvel looks like. Except his Coachella performance. Which was, yeah, you know, we don't know. What, <laughs> I feel like that, that was, they, told, they told him he was going to perform yesterday on that day. I don't know what was going on on that day. Um, but, you know, DC is kind of going through something similar. Um, but complete reboot, right? Like they're becoming, they're about to break out of something, something completely new. They have, they've laid new eggs with James Gunn, and I think they're going to become something different. So again, this year sucks for both, but we have heard at least news ending the year that feels good for them, if that makes sense. And so I'm still looking forward to, to you know, what 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 we're going to get out of out of both of these studios moving forward. It's just we got to do the work. Yeah, I mean, we have talked like for hours and hours about Marvel. Like, did a whole series for for our two hundred. There, there's plenty of conversations to be had. The, the 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 issue is is from numerous angles, as we know. It's not just one thing. That's why they're in the situation 
that they are in. But, you know, ultimately it is because of the oversaturation of the product. It really boils down to that. I think everything else is is very much connected to that. But it's it's just the oversaturation um, at, at any point with anything, any product. Once you begin to mass produce it on a more frequent level, quality will decrease and overall lack of interest or excuse me, just the, the general interest will start to decrease. People will just become less interested and less enthusiastic about it because the quality has degrees. That's that's just like that's just kind of the way of it, you know, and I, yeah. I, I don't know any other example in Hollywood where that hasn't been the case. And, and with Disney Plus, all these shows and you start to see that the effects have suffered and the quality dips and they haven't cracked the code to TV. And then the movies become subpar and they feel disjointed and disconnected. We're introducing all these new characters and we don't know when the fuck they're going to come back because you're telling us that we're probably not going to get another Shang-Chi movie for five years or Eternals might not come back for seven years. Like we have no idea about anything. And then they just expect people to keep showing up wrong. That's not going to happen. People are going to be like, you know what? I'm good. I, I just won't engage with this shit at all. As we just saw with the Marvels, nobody went and saw that movie. They'll wait on Disney plus they'll probably watch it and think that it's okay. And then move on with their lives. And so that recalibration for the next year is going to be super pivotal. The next few years, in fact. And, um, you know, now, again, as we talked about at the top of the show, the Jonathan Majors aspect of it and just the, the, the focal point of what this saga is supposed to be. I mean, we have to really, really nail that down and create buy-in once again from the audience within this franchise. Give us a reason to give a fuck. Because, like, mm-hmm. most people just don't give a fuck. I don't even give a fuck anymore, to be honest with you. Like, when we were talking about the direction of what they'll do with Avengers 5, mm-hmm. I'm almost at a place of, like, I don't even care. Like, mm. choose a path. You know, I'll just watch it, it regardless. Yeah, but just, just do it. it. Yeah. I don't really give a fuck anymore at this point because, you know, you haven't necessarily proven to me that this stuff has been good. You know, when you look mm-hmm. at, despite how I personally feel about it, Doctor Strange 2, not well received. She-Hulk, not well received. Secret mm-hmm. Invasion, one of the worst things that they, they've they ever done. Uh, oh, Thor man. 4, like, all of that stuff is just not hitting. So um, that's just the nature of, like, where they ended up and just, like, how they treated their system and their workers and their process. Um, it came back to bite him in the ass big time. Only thing I'll say about DC is that it's just been like a big eulogy for them all year. That that's all <laughs> DC has been. Like there, there's really not much to say. It's kind of sad to just see the things the way that they are. Like every time a film comes out, it's like, yo, we're the only ones that saw this shit. Nobody cares. Like nobody saw any of these movies, you know. And it's even crazier because nobody has still seen them on streaming until they end up on Netflix, which is going to be another talking point for later, you know, in terms of winners <laughs> and losers. It's just it's just a weird state of things that this brand, which is supposed to be such a such a cultural powerhouse and so important, doesn't really mean all that much anymore. And hopefully with James Gunn and Superman, when that comes out in 2025, that can be that can be the momentum that they need to really get people back yeah. on board with what DC can be because we know that it can be fantastic. We know that it's all there. Mm-hmm. In the comics, it's literally all there. We just have it's to make there. the shit good and get people that care about it and, and know what they're doing. So uh, we'll see, obviously. Um, the next one falls into both categories because I think this is an interesting conversation. It's a winner and loser. Um, franchise movies, franchise picks. Um, I picked winner and loser for this just because like, it was simultaneously the year for like good franchise picks, like some great mm-hmm. examples. John Wick Chapter 4 might be the best John Wick. Creed 3, fantastic. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 we just talked about. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. What the hell? That is just like a significant yeah. <laughs> movie in like cinematic history. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 conversely, there were also franchise films that 
I think we're once again looking at them like, well, what happened here? You did not perform to the levels of what you typically would do. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 completely got overshadowed by Barbenheimer. It, it made yeah. $567 million at the box office, but nobody talked about it after it came out. Uh, Fast X, yeah, it made $714 million, but the budget was ridiculous. It was like $350 million, way overpriced. Same thing with Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. That flopped. Transformers Rise of the Beasts, lowest, gro- lowest grossing live action Transformers film thus far. And The Little Mermaid, which... You know, a few years ago, you put out a Disney live action adaptation of one of their animated classics. That was a surefire hit to make anywhere between $800 million and a billion dollars at the box office. And again, that's no longer the case. And so we're on this weird sort of dichotomy with franchise, tentpole, pre-branded IP feature films. Like it's it's anybody's guess at this point. And with the box office draft and the summer movie draft that we did earlier this year, I mean, we kind of said the same thing. Like, it's really anybody's guess. We don't know what this is going to look like by the time the summer ends. And we were surprised at the results and we kind of saw how everything played out. So um, how do you feel both about just like the prospects of like how good franchise pictures have been, you know, this year? We saw some great entries into certain into certain brands, but with mm-hmm. other ones, it was just like they might have been good films, OK films possibly even great films i would say in the case of mission impossible 7 mm-hmm. but the interest just wasn't there quite like it used to be man what's crazy these are very itemized to me like each in every movie has a different story like for me in my mind mission impossible i think they got a bad date bro like just like you know barbie Oppenheimer's about to come out i don't know i like i don't know that was a miscalculation for sure this is a miscalculation Um, like you just came out in the wrong time and to be honest for me 567 mil in the midst of all that is is good it's just in the midst of it should have been something greater yeah it's a big step back from the last one for sure it really is and it and because barbie Oppenheimer feel like such we're people of exhaustion right like we get we're excited about a lot of things but we get tired too and so everything can't be a moment and if you have two moments that happen at the same time you're going to go towards the one that feels either more catered to you or the one people are talking about more and that was that was that was barbenheimer and and mission impossible feels like you just lost because you was next to this other shiny thing you lost theaters across the board you know what I'm saying? it's just miscalculation uh they just shouldn't have Shouldn't have done that. Fast X. I mean, these budgets are ridiculous. They're superhero movies now. I don't know what we're doing <laughs> with the Fast franchise. Indiana Jones, Dollar Destiny. I, pff, I, nobody cares. Nobody cares. No, sorry. Nobody cares. <laughs> I'm so, sorry. I like Indy, but nobody gives a fuck I anymore. I love Indy, bro. Nobody cares anymore. I'm, uh, unfortunately, still love Harrison. You know, a uh, uh, legend. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they should have marketed it. Like that, you know what I'm saying? Marking around Harrison Ford and this guy, but I don't. I really don't know. Transformers. Uh, I think people are maybe could be exhausted from Transformers. Part of me almost feels like that movie also failed to word of mouth. Like people were going to the theater, like oh, I didn't really like it. I know some people that didn't go see it because they heard from their friends that it was just okay, or they weren't really messing with it, or you know, Transformers has been. It's one of those things that has has felt a little oversaturated. For a while, I feel like we are almost always getting some big budget Transformers film in, in within due time. Um, I think they had something with the Beast Wars stuff. I definitely still think they had something, but you still got to give us the quality in order for it to 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 make it a moment and a blockbuster in history. And again, this was a very competitive summer, um, and so you really got to bring your A game. Little Mermaid, man. I mean, I, 
Disney. Uh, I don't know. Like we, of course, we talk about the the Holly Bailey stuff. The the, the Holly Bailey stuff. I mean, how um, I'm I'm sure some there's some racism worldwide that contributed to this number, but. Also, it's just not as good of a movie as it could be either. You know, it could mm-hmm. just be better as a yeah, film. Should have been a better gotta, movie. Yeah. It should have been a better movie, and that definitely is a big part of it too. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just should be better. The whole CGI uh, 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 Sebastian and Flounder thing was like, why'd y'all make them look like this? I don't know. Like, it was just a weird. <laughs> It was a weird thing to get into to begin with. Like you see the trailer and you're like, I I already didn't know how to feel watching the trailer. And it's funny. I think a lot of us were ruling for Hallie for sure. But then it's like you see the movie and it's like she's still good. She was never the problem with the film. It's always the stuff around her. So that, yeah, that's just it's just weird. I'm excited to see to see her in Color Purple, by the way. I think she'll win some of that stuff. Uh, not win some of that stuff, but I think we'll be happy when we see her in something hopefully a better film <laughs> that came out this year but the winners john wick is just fire bro like they cooking with grease with john wick a new vision i think that's important like they are they're setting out to do things people just haven't done yet in john wick movies um and i can i can see michael b jordan wills turning in creed 3 there's some sequences in there we've never seen before there was also, some stardom behind it, right? People like the first two Creeds. You add a Jonathan Majors. You add, you know what I'm saying? Creed. People showed up. Cross the Spider-Verse, an event. They literally created an event of some of the craziest things we've ever seen before in animation. Like, we, that movie is really legit unprecedented. And then we already talked about Guardians, man. So, yeah, everything is just so itemized when it comes to these franchises. Uh, and it's weird. And you can study each and every one differently. But they, they some of them just got to get it together and make better movies. And I think that's the bottom line. And we get so many of them now. Like, every single weekend, you know, one of the things we talked about when we did the summer movie draft is how packed the summer felt for the first time since COVID. We hadn't really yeah. had a packed summer of releases since 2019 but now this summer there was like a big movie dropping every single weekend Mm -hmm. and that used to could work in the 2010s like that used to be a viable solution but once streaming became the dominant play that no longer worked for people and i think that that speaks to your point about exhaustion and moments you know in the 2010s like if we actually had time and and a bit of a buffer in between these big releases maybe just two weeks most like not a huge amount of time but just two weeks and streaming wasn't where where it is now you could still go see something and have a great conversation that lasts, that 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 encourages word of mouth, that gets people to go see it, you know, that second weekend, that third weekend. But now because of that churn and how quickly things are moving, I mean, we're on to the next one immediately. And that, that's what happened with Mission Impossible. They just ran up against a brick wall in Barbenheimer. There was just no way around it. They should have moved back a week and, and came out two weeks earlier as opposed to a week earlier. Um, but on the flip side, when you look at the creative output of a John Wick Chapter 4 or Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, I mean, I totally agree. These are creative teams doing things that we have not seen before or at least to American audiences that they have not seen before. I mean, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse broke my mind. I don't even know what the fuck I was thinking watching that movie. I was sitting there like, I don't even know how I feel. I don't know what my body is doing. I feel like I'm levitating watching this movie. That's how it made me feel. And that's a rarity. It just doesn't happen that often. you know. And that, that just, That's a testament to the hard work and the vision and the quality of that film. 
Whereas you go see Fast X and I feel like I'm getting dumber and dumber every time I sit there through another minute of those movies. I'm like, well, what the fuck am I watching right now? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, we're just doing shit for the sake of it. We have five movies in one because we have too many fucking stars. Basically, every bankable franchise star is in this franchise now. That's just bad decision making. There's no need for it. Make a great movie. Like, you could do it. We saw it with Fast Five. Some of those are okay. Furious 7 is a good movie. And we just got completely away from that. Like, we're more concerned with the spectacle and the CGI and the explosive action. Like, we're more, we're more, we're more focused on the stunts as opposed yeah. to the story. And the story is suffering. At least with Mission Impossible, you know Tom Cruise. He's going to give you the greatest stunts you've ever seen. But also, he's still managing to do something interesting with the story. It's not the most, yeah. like, intriguing thing ever. But it's right. still good enough to make you want to buy in and see what he's going to do next. Um, winner. The next one. Christopher Nolan. I mean. Oh, yeah. What a year. He released Oppenheimer. It becomes the third highest grossing movie of 2023, only behind Super Mario Brothers and Barbie. Made $954 million at the box office. A movie of white men in rooms talking for three hours, engaging about the atomic bomb and, 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 and physics, made almost a billion dollars at the box office. It's also the fourth highest grossing IMAX release of all time. And that just kind of signals to me that Chris Nolan, and I said this during our review of the film, that this was the culmination of everything we've known about him as a director. This is a culmination of all his talents, all his gifts, and all the things that he cares about. Like Oppenheimer felt like the movie that validated everything Chris Nolan cared about for his entire career that probably mm -hmm. annoys some people. The fact that he's so stringent about physical media and now that we see that Oppenheimer and the 4K discs represent 40% of all the film sales at this point. The fact that he's just so gung-ho about IMAX and putting his films in premium large format screens. Well, look, fourth highest grossing IMAX movie of all time. The fact that he builds sets and that he brings in actors to locations. Like, all that traditional thinking stuff that he's brought to his movies over the years. Oppenheimer was the validation of all of that. All of the care and the heart and the attention that he puts towards that stuff. And I have also been one of those critics of him. I'm not afraid to say it. Like, there's sometimes where I'm like, mm -hmm. yo, dude, dude, lighten up, bro. Like, it doesn't have to be this fucking serious. Like, just just do something. <laughs> just do something that's contemporary. Like, just try it out. Like, maybe digital isn't such a such a such a negative thing. Like, I don't know if this film grain on the film screen is working for me right now. But look, he did and stuck to his vision. He stuck to his guns, and it worked. It just worked. I mean, Oppenheimer is just like a massive success. It's one of the best movies of the year. So uh, what are your thoughts on Nolan, man? Just like everything he brought to the table and just what he did overall for the industry this year. You know, the music, and I know this is, I promise I'll relate this back. Music has become this thing that feels very, let's get a single, and that's how it becomes successful first. Like, I always argue that a lot of artists nowadays don't necessarily love music how we used to right a lot of them don't play the piano a lot of them don't didn't used to sing in the church a lot of them don't they don't i remember hearing an interview from somebody and he was like oh yeah i don't even listen to 80s and 90s r&b i'm like how are you an r&b singer you don't even know where you came from you know what i'm saying and it feels like and i say all that because christopher nolan has always felt somebody who like cares about movies like you can tell in everything that he does to everything you just said that he absolutely loves the thing that he is doing he loves film he loves the process of it he loves being a director and i and, and Oppenheimer very much shows that to me across the board and so it is no surprise that 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 christopher nolan is a winner this year with something 
like Oppenheimer, it's not always going to work, right? Just because you do love something doesn't mean your work is always going to going to be well received by everybody. But it's something about that tenacity and knowing what you want to do as a filmmaker and doing what you want to do as a filmmaker that always shines through again when you love something. And so Oppenheimer, it feels like that. I can see the love watching the movie across the board, even the actors. Um, and so, yeah, man, Oppenheimer is just one of those, uh, uh, fourth highest gross IMAX. IMAX has also kind of just been winning <laughs> here lately. IMAX has been winning in general, lately, but yeah, but Christopher Nolan, man, he, 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 he stepped up this year and showed us again why he's, he's one of the greats, man. And so I'm, 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 I'm not surprised, but man, I'm never going to forget Oppenheimer. What was that? Black Friday weekend. You couldn't find it. I didn't even know. Oh yeah. I'm sold like, out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, excuse me? Where did this come from? And I get a little, it was funny because when that happens in my mind, I get a little gatekeepy because we're like this. You can't see me, but I'm pointing yeah. to movies behind me. But because we got, we're like this, I get a little gatekeeping. I'm like, dang, do you have something that can play that 4K Blu-ray, brother? You know what I'm saying? What are you buying this up for? But this movie was that big where people was like, I got to have it. I have to have physical media, and I love that. And that really also, to be honest, speaks to Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. He also loves physical media and physical releases. So I'm, I'm very proud of him as, as a filmmaker. Again, one of my favorites, one of the best. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's to no surprise that when you love something, as much as Christopher Nolan loves film, that he gets a result such as Oppenheimer. Yeah, it just shows in every single frame. You know when you see a Chris Nolan film, it's going to be a premium experience. I, I mean, there's just no way around it. He makes films on the grandest scale possible. He sticks to his guns. He has certain demands. It's just so funny because a couple of years ago when he left Warner Brothers after the whole HBO Max debacle and he went to Universal and, and the news broke about all of the terms that he demanded when, when he signed on for Universal – the movie has to cost at least $100 million. The marketing budget has to match that and, and, and cost at least, you know, what the film is going to take mm -hmm. to produce it. Uh, he, he required a certain uh, runway for the, for the theatrical distribution. He said, you know, Universal, you can't put out a movie three weeks before or three weeks after. Like, this is going to be all of your resources dedicated to my movie. Also, IMAX, you want my movie? Cool. Great. I put you on with The Dark Knight. I need my movie in IMAX for at least right. like fucking four weeks. Like there's no way around it. Mm -hmm. And at the time when you read something like that, it feels like, damn, dude, you you kind of tripping, bro. This is you asking for a lot here. This is this is this is a lot. And you are Chris Nolan. You have you have proven that you are worth every penny of what they probably mm -hmm. pay you. But I think that there's an easy way to look at that and, and doubt him. And and now with the movie out and we're seeing what it does, again, it just validates. All of that stuff that he believed in himself. I think that this is just a true testament of a guy knowing exactly what he wants, believing in it, seeing it through, and now we see that it resonates. And I think that that's just a story that everybody can relate to. When people know that somebody puts in everything to a product, to their art, to whatever it is, mm -hmm. they can see that on the other side, and it's going to be rewarded for that. I mean, the 4K discs selling out, what? That's never fucking happened before. What? Like, no. people don't even buy DVDs or Blu-rays. <laughs> and, and the fact that the 4K disc, the most expensive one, sold out for like two weeks at, at every retailer. I mean, we, we talked about this earlier in the summer when all the IMAX mm -hmm. showings were booked up on mm -hmm. Monday mornings at, at 9.30 a.m. <laughs> Couldn't mm -hmm. get in. 
I didn't think that was going to carry over to fucking Amazon and Walmart and Target. I was like, oh, I'm good. You know, I'll be able to watch it at home as many times as I want. No, it took me two weeks to get a copy of the movie. Just crazy, man. I mean, it's just a, it's a really ridiculous kind of result uh, to look at. But it's also inspiring to know that there are still a few filmmakers out there that can that can warrant that type of reception. Um, the next loser that that's listed here is uh, diverse television shows. And, and, you know, this is really, I think, somewhat of a product of the of the of the belt tightening that's happened at studios because of the streaming um, sort of the impact of streaming, not necessarily being, I think, what studios and companies thought it was going to be. There's a lot more uh, a lot more strictness happening with budgets. And so a lot of things have gotten cut this year. And uh, I noticed, man, we, we talked about it briefly a couple of times this year, but a lot of black television shows got the axe, um, whether it's from ABC or, or Warner Brothers Discovery or other companies. Like a lot of shows went away that are, you know, sort of erasing some 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 diverse voices, some diverse perspectives. Mm-hmm. And we won't really have those moving forward, such as The Wonder Years on ABC, Winning Time on Max, A Black Lady Sketch Show, um, which is a little bit of a different scenario. It had four seasons. And I think that they talked about that it was somewhat of a mutual ending, but it felt like it could have gone on, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um over at Stars, Blind Spotting and Run the World, A League of Their Own got cut after one season. Just a lot of shows, mm-hmm. again, that just kind of met their end. And 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 it's again, I think a lot of it is a byproduct of, of financial decisions. But you also raise your eyebrow at it, like, well, damn, you know, these shows, like, mm-hmm. why these shows? It feels like it's something that's just you know not adding up to me. Like, is there is there just not an audience? And and we don't really know because they don't release the streaming data. We don't know like right. how many people watch these things. And so maybe that is like really the hugest factor of it. But um. How do you foresee this? You know, just like all of these different shows kind of kind of meeting their end this year and just the fact that it represents, you know, not having necessarily as many diverse voices in, in, in the television medium as we would probably like. You know, if it's a if it's truly a numbers thing, um, you know, for for me, it's one of those one is it good. And if it is good, why aren't people watching it? Is it? And, 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 and you know, you know, there's so many factors that can go into that, right? Uh, is, is, is there marketing being people, is the show being pushed how it should be being pushed and, and things like that? And like you said, you kind of got a side eye a little bit because you're like, why these shows? Um, but, you know, to be honest, it's part of the reason I think, you know, I love that our show exists. Maybe we can bring light when some of these shows pop up on our radar. Go watch this. Go watch that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, please watch this. It's a good uh, uh, it's good material, but it's so it's really sad to hear when shows like this are being canceled. Um, and, 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 you know, all, all we really can do is side eye it and try to do better for the next one. Unfortunately, like that sucks. A League of Their Own was in my top 10 shows last year. I really like that show, but I probably can't have a conversation with anybody about it because nobody has seen it that I know. You know, and that's a, like a very obvious, I think, experienced thing. That, that 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 I see at least for myself, like dang, I can't talk to only you, me and you, the only two people I knew who watched Blind Spotting. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't know a lot of people watching that. I watched Love Life. Uh, I couldn't have. I know a couple people that watch Winning Time, like, but none of these are shows that are getting again, and either enough people aren't watching them, or the, maybe again, maybe the the marketing isn't catered to these shows, and and, and, and it's unfortunate. Again, I really like some of these Love Life, Winning Time, Blind Spotting, League of Their Own. Like I haven't seen. A lot of these other things, but it's like, I, I, it's a, it's such a weird realm to operate in. Like you said, especially, especially when they don't tell you the numbers or like true complete reasons why certain shows are being canceled. And so it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but man, I hope some, we can hold on to some of the other shows we got for dear life, man. I hope we can get some, some, 
other, I don't know, executives or people butts in seats in some of these positions for so some of these shows don't have to go away, right? The rooms, who are the people making these decisions? Do they look like us? Do they look like the people in the shows that they're cutting? I don't know. That's another, I think, question that, that you know, you have to ask when it when it comes, when, when you side all these shows, like, oh, why these shows? It's, it's, it's all, we have to take it all into account. So it's definitely unfortunate. Um, and, and I think uh, uh, it's something to examine for the future, for sure. Yeah, I don't have much to add. I think you kind of said it all. It's, um, I don't know, man. It's a weird place, too, because it doesn't feel like we're getting too many black shows that last that long anymore. It's it's only like a few examples over the past few years that you can look at and say, like, yeah, Insecure stuck around for a while. Blackish stuck around for a while. Grownish stuck around for a while. But, like, I thought that it used to be, a, uh, yeah, exactly right. I thought that it used to be a lot more prevalent um in in previous decades and of course again streaming complicates a lot of this just because data has switched transparency has switched you know the Mm -hmm. the the barometer for what's a success and what is successful it's also just totally different now as well um and 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 even the format like we're not getting sitcoms really anymore there there's a few but most of these are dramas or they're sketch shows or comedies you know half hour comedies things of that nature so um just the the longevity isn't there but Right. It doesn't help, too, that when you look at like this era that we live in, most shows tend to have shorter runs than 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 we ever had before. Like we're not really mm. getting all that many shows that stay on for seven seasons, eight seasons. Like a lot of things are they're kind of wrapping up after three or four seasons. Like it's it's in and That's out, true. you know. Um, but these 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 examples are premature, you know, cuttings like a love life. They they definitely were going to do more. A League of Their Own were probably they were probably going to do more. And so, you know, to your point. What's the marketing look like? How are we getting people to talk about this and like really rally behind it so that we can get an audience? And, and, and you know, the baseline is, you know, is this a good product that we're putting out? Is this, is this a good material that, that people right. can can really gravitate towards? Mm-hmm. Um, a, another big winner, though, of this year is, is horror movies, which, you know, horror movies had a great year last year in 2022. And that just kind of continued this year. I mean, yes. by and large, pretty much. Almost every theatrical horror film that came out this year made money. Like, if you just look at all of this that we have on this list, Megan, Scream 6, Evil Dead, Insidious, I know you hated it, but it was, you know, it made a lot of money. Um, (laughs) You know, Five Nights at Freddy's we talked about earlier, Thanksgiving is getting a sequel, like, everything is just making money. Um, Mm -hmm. That's largely due to the fact that horror movies are budgeted a lot more frugally, you know, they cost a lot less than your big budget blockbusters, you know, many of these films cost between five to 20 million dollars and so their mm-hmm. their upside is just much greater um as big horror fans you know what, what what do you make of this just the fact that we are getting not only successful horror movies financially that can potentially build out new franchises but also a diverse array because megan totally different than evil dead rise which is totally different than when, when evil lurks you know and, and skin yeah. of a rink like all of these are just coming at so many different angles and so what's your perspective on just like where horror movies are right now I think we're just still in this renaissance of 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 horror. Um, I think the pandemic did something to people. I know it sounds really bad, but I think the pandemic did something to people. Uh, not only that, but the influence of of like Jordan Peele and Ari Aster. It's all coming over and it's all bleeding over to what we're doing now within these horror films. And I think it's it's it just hasn't slowed down. Uh, uh, we're still kind of in that period. Um, and and. Yeah, I think that's really it. Like, it's it's everything has just kind of been good. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of these horror films have just been good. Of course, there's a couple misses you're going to have here and there. But by and large, 
they've been doing a good job um, with with even even the culty super culty classics like I'm thinking like Terrifier three is coming out next year. It's like what Terrifier three in theaters is crazy to me. Like it's just it's it's all really wild, but it, it it just makes sense given the landscape. I think a lot of people have a lot of different things to say nowadays when it comes to horror and again uh but all those things i just said the pandemic that ari aster influence of grief horror and elevated horror and, and jordan peele and elevated horror, it's just all kind of coming full circle to, to to some good ideas and i think i think it's just one of those genres that has it right now and i think you know there's like there was like a rom-com moment right where like rom-coms was just going crazy i mean it was just like dang that movie's kind of good that movie's kind of good i think horrors in that realm right now they're just killing it and they they have a season, and I think this is a season of horror, and and yeah, that's where we live right now, and so yeah, that's what I think about it. I, and I think a lot of studios are intelligently applying the Blumhouse model, like make these for cheap, mm-hmm. because if yeah. you make them for cheap, if you if you if you're economical in your in your production of it, then the opportunity for success can be really good. Like even the blackening, like you look at eighteen million dollars, that doesn't seem like a big number, but it only costs five, and so it's like that's now great. it's getting a sequel because that's <laughs> yeah. like oh we spent five and made eighteen, good. Like we have an audience and we can come back mm-hmm. to theaters, and and that works, you know. And so there that, that that that's a method that just makes sense and it's smart, especially for the horror genre, which is mm-hmm. you know one of the only jo- genres that I think a lot of people still look at and say like. I want to go to the movies for that. Like, I want to mm. feel that sense of fear with a community yeah. of people and a community of strangers. Like, there's nothing yeah. still like that that can rep- replicate that. Like, a drama, like, most people can kind of just stay at home and watch yeah. a drama, you know. But but yeah. horror movies, I mean, it just they, they just hit different on the big screen. That's yeah. just no way it's around it. for speakers, it, you know? too. Horror is like, that's really what surround sounds for. Sometimes it's horror movies. So it's like, exactly. you got to go to the theater to get that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you want to you want to get that Dolby experience because you want that crazy sound that you can't replicate at home. Wonderful, that's what you're gonna do, and uh, I think that's what we're seeing here: making them for small budgets, maximizing the potential returns, creating new IP, creating new franchises, building fandoms. I mean, Insidious. This is like what the fifth one, and it's still making this type of money. That's crazy. The Nun two, like the first movie, most people kind of agree not a great movie. Still made almost three hundred million. Like. That just it's a built in fan base of people that want to see that material. And so they are just they're 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 firing on all cylinders. Um, but, you know, still within the horror realm, a big loser is the Scream franchise uh, at this point. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, one of the most reliable franchises feels like it's on a it's on a wobbly sort of leg right now because of just the decision making behind the scenes. You know, we talked about Melissa Barrera being fired for her comments about the Islam. Uh, um Islamic, you know, sort of situation going on um, in, in Gaza, just all of that, that controversy. And then, you know, finding out that, that Jenna Ortega is also not returning to the to the to the franchise because of what we thought was a scheduling issue. But now apparently is coming out that it might be salary related and that her team came back, wanted seven figures because her stardom has risen. Look at Wednesday, biggest Netflix show pretty much ever. And they just didn't want to pay her. Which doesn't seem like a crazy concept considering that that's why Nev Campbell walked away. That They didn't want to yeah. pay her what she wanted to get paid and that's why she wasn't in Scream 6. And so maybe there's validity to the Jenna Ortega story. And so, um, you know, now the future of that franchise just is uncertain. And so um, I, I think that this franchise has reinvented itself multiple times. And so it can do that again. It doesn't necessarily need Melissa Barrera or Jenna Ortega. But I think the optics of it look bad regardless. I think that there's no way around it like I don't agree with the decision to fire her. I think that they should have went about it differently. Absolutely. If the salary dispute information is real about Jenna, that they're tripping. That's a ridiculous thing to to not pay that woman because she is absolutely becoming a big star. 
Um, and, and, you know, that just begs the question of like what the next one's going to look like. Will Nev Campbell come back? Will they get other people back? We don't know. We'll, we'll have to ultimately, you know, see what that looks like when Scream 7 arrives. Yeah, not too much to add. I, I think what you said at the end is my big thing is you literally have Jenna Ortega in front of you. Like, again, the she is about to be it. You know what I mean? Like this girl between Wednesday and X and all these other. She is the whore queen right now. You, and you will not take the money to make her your star. You know what I'm saying? And it just feels a little, I don't know. It's like, why wouldn't you go and do that? Why wouldn't you, yeah, why wouldn't you go and do that? Like you said, they can't reinvent themselves. Uh, it just feels just like, dang, it feels a little unfortunate. Like, just go make her your star. I think it's a good idea. Because um, if not, to be honest, somebody else is going to. <laughs> and I think that's exactly what's about to happen. Wednesday season two, whatever she's about to end up in, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. You know come yeah. on. Like, come on, Scream. What are y'all doing? Like, y'all could be the ones. And instead, you're going to be the ones that missed out, unfortunately. Because we just talked about Scream. In the winter section, they did great. I love that movie. I was like, this is a really good screen movie this year. Now it's like falling apart. Or now it's like time to reinvent again. It's like, ah, that's just too bad. And so, yeah, it's just too bad, man. But we'll, we'll see what they come up with. But mm. Cheap is what I'll say. Um, too cheap. cheap. They, 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 they got to... <sighs> It's really frustrating when it when it comes down to that being like the issue. I think um you know it's 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 value that you can clearly place on an individual and and say like oh yeah this person is worth it and she's one of those people. I think at mm-hmm. this point like you you can unequivocally say that she she can bring an audience, especially after all of those people that watch Wednesday who who just want to show up for her. Um, but right. we'll we'll see what they do with Scream. I mean, hopefully they can figure something out. Um, the last big winner that that's here is uh it's Netflix because. I think the streaming wars that we've been talking about, I think that they're over. I don't think there's a streaming war any, anymore. I think Netflix is unilaterally undisputed champ, which, you know, there was really no way around that. But 2022 was a a, a, a difficult year for them. It was a really challenging year. It kind of broke the industry. You know, their stock crashed and their revenue fell for the first time pretty much ever since they really had this boom that, that started in, in about 2012, 2013. And it, and it forced them to kind of reevaluate a few things, come back to 2023, and they came back roaring, like in a big, big way. Their stock is up 60%. Um, they cracked down on the password sharing, which I know pisses a lot of people off, but the method worked because once those people got booted out of those accounts, what did they do? They went and signed up for Netflix. I can attest. My mom had to sign up for a new one. It just was what it was. Like, she want to keep watching Netflix? We got to sign you up. And so that worked as a business strategy. Now they're sitting at almost 250 million paid subscribers. They had big hits this year. Wednesday, it came out at the end of last year, but it certainly bled over into this year. And then you look at acquired titles like Suits, which had just a phenomenal year on the platform, which is kind of ridiculous. Even I watched it, which I just wouldn't have predicted. It's just running laps around, I think, every other streaming platform at this point. You know, Prime Video has around 200 million subscribers, but let's be honest, most people have prime video only because they have prime they don't, they don't use it yeah. they don't use prime video they have prime yeah. for fucking shipping like that's how it's mm-hmm. always been because you don't pay extra disney mm-hmm. plus we know that that baked in audience that disney legacy is a big big factor of why it has 150 million subscribers everybody else max hulu peacock apple tv plus under 100 million not even in the conversation at this point and probably in the next few years there's going to be consolidation there's going to be buyouts it probably mm-hmm. will go from 50 streaming services to about the big four or five, and that's going to be it. 
Um, but but even beyond that, you know, even beyond just like the subscriber growth and the revenue growth, you look at just the the acquisitions that they've made and 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 what's happened in the past few weeks, even the past few months, and it's kind of it's kind of reverting back to what Netflix became famous for just the stuff that they had that they acquired not their originals because now we see all of the dc films are on netflix now everything from the dceu over the past 12 13 years you can pretty much find on netflix like batman v superman suicide squad black adam the batman from matt reeves and guess what suicide squad is in the top five on netflix right now and i'm talking about the 2016 david ayer movie the one that pretty much everybody said was a shit movie is in the top five i saw it trending on x the other day people are talking about it not because it's on max but because it's on netflix also other hbo shows insecure i know a baked in audience that is revisiting insecure just because it's on netflix Mm -hmm. not because it was on max but just because it's there they also got ballers and the world war ii dramas the pacific and band of brothers and again as i mentioned suits was a huge hit this year in the midst of the strikes that were going on it surpassed 3.5 billion viewing minutes in a single week repeatedly and it was in their top 12 as the top streaming show for 12 consecutive weeks Mm -hmm. guess what suits is also on peacock who watched it on Peacock? Nobody. But who watched it on Netflix? Every fucking body. So I think it just goes to show and it reinforces the idea that Netflix still has the power to take something regardless of where else it's available and make it the talk of the community. They can make it a word of mouth show. And really, I think a large part of that is that top 10 feature that they added a few years ago. That kind of changed the game. The Netflix top 10. I mean, we can't deny that once that was introduced, that largely influences what people watch. If you go on Netflix and see something as the number one, number two, number three most watched whatever, I think you're more inclined to watch it. I, I noticed mm-hmm. my own trends and viewing habits started to lean towards that. And so I, I just think overall, the streaming wars, they're done. They're, there's no more conversation about it. Nobody else is catching up at this point. It's just not going to happen. And, and quite soon here, we're going to see everybody start to consolidate and really kind of bow mm-hmm. down to Netflix as we're seeing them do and start to license out things and actually like add more content and more things to watch on their platform just due to the the word of mouth and the and the visibility and the scale that they have compared to everybody else. Something else that Netflix has that we're not talking about. Netflix is winning the anime war as well between all of these people. Oh, they're killing um, it. They are ki- the only other person the only other streaming service that kind of had something under their belt for a while was Hulu. Hulu also has a ton of um a ton of anime. Oh, no. Netflix is going crazy right now. They got originals. They got live action adaptions, such as One Piece, which, by the way, debuted as like the second craziest premiere of the year on Netflix. Yeah, an anime live action show. <laughs> crazy. Yu Yu Hakusho just came out. Like, there's a whole nother demographic with anime stuff. K-dramas. I know if I want to watch a K-drama, I don't go nowhere else but Netflix. If I want to watch a K-drama... They have like certain niche audiences that all these other streaming services also don't have. Netflix is winning. It just is what it is. Um, it it it, it really is. And, and so it's like to be. I don't even know what other people can do, especially when like all the Mac stuff is on Netflix. It's like, what are we doing? <laughs> I mean, that was the true sign. It's like, well, once that stuff, and, and we know why, why they're like David Zaslav yeah. is trying to get them out of debt, get money. Mm-hmm. But like, once you, you see it. that starting to happen, it's yeah. like, oh, well, we're just kind of, we're kind of genuflecting at this point. We're kind of admitting like it's, it's really over. Like we, if it's we want over. the most money and the most visibility, we got to put it to Netflix. 
seeing Insecure on Netflix was the craziest thing to me. I just couldn't believe it. But guess what? I've been seeing people click on it. I've been seeing people talk about Insecure again. I've been seeing it's back up. Numbers of, it's just so crazy. One other thing is um, there's some BT Plus shows on Netflix now. Freaking oh, First wow, I didn't Wives even know that. Club. First Wives Club is a BT Plus show. It's wow, like I didn't even know that. trending. <laughs> it's like trending on Netflix. I was like, what is happening here? Yeah. Like Netflix is just kind of looks like they have it all, if that makes sense. Like it's like why go anywhere? Pretty much. They yeah. got Sony stuff, bro. They got Silent Hill, Gran Turismo just got on it. They got the Sony stuff too. Yeah, the exclu- exclusive yep. streaming rights to Sony premieres. So, like, those big movies, No Hard Feelings, Across the Spider-Verse, you know, and, and those movies respectively successful. But, again, if you don't go see them in theaters, you know that the destination is Netflix and No Hard Feelings. That That's an, a clear-cut example of a movie that did okay at best in theaters as soon as it drops on Netflix, top 10. It becomes one of the biggest, view, you know, movies that they have, and that's an acquired title. It's not an original, but... To your point, they do have it all. They can make these original shows like the anime community and niche that they're leaning into. Those are massive hits, but they're also still doing the acquisition game and and making things that previously didn't have that much viewership. They're now rising to the top and becoming some of the most talked about things in in pop culture. It's crazy. It is absolutely insane. So Netflix geeked, I would just say. It's genius. That whole sub part of Netflix is genius. Strongback lead is genius, even though they kind of did some weird stuff with strong beckley but all of that stuff is genius they 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 got it and so yeah that, that's really it man netflix netflix is the winner <laughs> and and i think we'll, we'll we'll continue to see a lot of that um, um play play throughout whenever man it's hard for me in my mind it's hard to to begin to lose that notoriety unless like other streaming services are doing something crazy like i feel like netflix is going to be like this for a while so david Zaslav, he feels like a bit more of a radical <laughs> CEO. Like him, him giving away the DC titles uh, or licensing them. I don't want to say give away, but him licensing out the DC titles. Knowing him and knowing how he operates, I see that. Do you ever see a situation or a reality where Bob Iger, Disney, all of a sudden, like maybe they consider giving away licensing a Marvel show, a Star Wars show? For a limited run on Netflix, something that's been out for a while, maybe maybe the first two seasons of The Mandalorian, since they've been out for a few years, maybe they say like, "Hey, for one year, we're gonna put The Mandalorian on Netflix." Or is that or is that too much of an admission of defeat on the part of Disney? If they did something like that, would they would they sort of naturally be admitting that they they can't compete? And so, if they want more visibility, if they want more conversation around those shows, we got to send them to Netflix because we know that the audience is there. That's a good question. I- Part of me doesn't see it. Part of me doesn't. I can't see Bob Iger. Like, I can't. I just, I don't know. There's something about that I can't see happening. I, ca- I can't see even older stuff happening. I definitely can see that. I can even see them taking some of that Fox stuff they're sitting on. You know what I'm saying? And be like, okay, y'all can have some of this uh, Fox stuff. You know sure, what I'm saying? Sure. Like, hey, Netflix, let's throw some, you know, let's die, die hard and some other stuff on Netflix. I can see some of that stuff happening. But some of that big, I don't. Like the premium know. new stuff. I yeah. don't know if I can um, see Mandalorian opening Netflix and Mandalorian's top ten TV. I just know I don't think <laughs> I don't think because I think also think that's one of the things that's really keeping them afloat versus some of the things I feel like David Zaslav gave to Netflix is not necessarily like 
stuff keeping them afloat, if that makes sense. Like, the VC stuff, yeah. everyone's like, oh, we've already seen that. You know what I mean? Everyone's like, oh, it's secure. Technically, the show's been out for very long. I can't see some of that older stuff, but I don't know about, like, Mandalorian. I don't know. That's kind of a, a big one to kind of give away. I don't think they can give that one, because that's what... I'm very curious of the 150 million people on Disney Plus. How many people are there for Star Wars content? You know what I'm saying. And I feel like if you, as soon as you see that, as soon as somebody, not necessarily misguided, but who doesn't have all the information, sees that on Netflix, they're like, "What the hell? I need Disney Plus for? I'm clicking out of this thing. Cancel." You know what I'm saying? So uh, uh, I, I don't see that happening. At least, at least not to that degree. Yeah, maybe, and maybe you know, maybe those like real platinum brands like Star Wars, Marvel. That that's kind of you know off limits. Um, maybe the Peter Fox Pan and Wendy. The fo- <laughs> you know where that's a stream? Nowhere. How about that streams app or maybe Tubi? Send that to Tubi for free. I- I'll Tubi. watch it on free for Tubi. Um, but yeah, you know the the Fox point is good. Like, there's a lot of legacy Fox titles. Maybe even some of those old like Disney has not committed to like physical releases for their Touchstone catalog, their Hollywood Pictures catalog. There's so many movies from the so 90s, many. the late 80s and the 90s that they haven't widely made available. I mean, just like classics, like fucking Tombstone. You know, that's a movie that I love. You know, I don't, need, I don't even know if that's available on Hulu or Disney+. Plus. Maybe it is. I mean, I have a physical copy, but just like for the general masses, you know, I think that there's like a treasure trove of stuff that they're sitting on from, from what they have there. And, and to your point, the Fox catalog, there's so many titles and, and and maybe that's the way as opposed to like those those things that are the true draw for disney plus which is your mandalorians your your marvel mcu premium shows right. you know whatever the whatever the first run releases for for disney pixar are going to be on the platform you know and canto only becomes a big hit because it showed up on disney plus three weeks after exactly. it was in theaters you know so um we'll see we'll see how it all shakes out but um before we wrap up here man any other winners or losers of the year that we didn't mention in this bigger list i mean there's 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 a ton of like other big stories that broke in hollywood but uh i know one of the things that i was thinking about in terms of um winners and losers that i did want to like quickly cover um you know i do think that i think movie theaters had a win this year i think that they were winners yeah um not necessarily i mean obviously like barbenheimer was huge yes but i think even more specifically we're seeing that films with niche fandoms are doing mm. really really well like Godzilla the Godzilla minus one the boy and the heron the concert films from Taylor Swift and Beyonce They're like we're seeing good. that mm-hmm. there's a route and there's a path outside of like the biggest movies of the year like your movie doesn't have to be a 300 million dollar blockbuster there can be these smaller hits five nights at Freddy's that have niche fan bases that can still do exceptionally well and keep theaters afloat and do good business in those somewhat off seasons. You know, we know that August, September is not like a, a huge season at movie theaters. Five Nights at Freddy's came out like end of September, October. Um, the concert films, October, Taylor Swift, that movie was big for October. That was the biggest movie of that month. Mm-hmm. Uh, this first weekend of December, historically low performing weekend. What do we get? Renaissance and Godzilla and the boy and the heron, like those movies are creating i think uh, or they're at least filling those voids financially that we used to see in the in the movie release calendar because they're catering to audiences that will show up for them in theaters um so that was just like another winner that i wanted to call out i like those just because like they're like their own kind of blockbusters if that makes sense it's so weird because they're also not like the artsy movies right they're not like the poor things or anything like that they're like right above it but also not like a blockbuster i wish there was another name for those like those medium a hell of people still want to go see this movie kind of movies because those are, those 
those three in particular, Godzilla, Renaissance, and Boy in the Heron, was like, y'all doing something. They were all also like bangers. <laughs> but also it's like, oh, shoot, this is this is kind of crazy how many people are in this theater. I remember looking at you when we went to go see Godzilla. Like, damn, it's kind of a lot of people in this thing to see Godzilla. I love this. So so I like that. I do have maybe maybe one more small winner. Just animated TV, man. Animated TV shows in general mm. have been mm-hmm. uh, winning i've talked uh, last week i talked about young love fiona and kate castlevania nocturne is going crazy anime in general has been turning up just knowing the how happy the community is people have been more enriched (laughs) than ever in a lot of uh, um, animated tv shows we just got done talking about scott pilgrim you know what i'm saying like there's been a lot of really good animated projects um by, by way of television shows at least that have been just turning up and turning out man they're they've, they've all been doing a good job because just because it's animated doesn't make it good and in fact a lot of people thought it, a lot of those things were childish but now i feel like we're seeing a, a moment where they're only not childish but they're also really good <laughs> they also speak to things that that exist in adulthood or cater to adulthood that are just thriving so i want to throw animated tv shows in there as well i think they're doing they've been doing a really good job don't be surprised if like a couple end up on my top 10 TV shows list for the year, man, because they've really been doing the thing. That's a good one. Um, And, you know, to your point, like there has been a good output of quality, but just the variety of what's available too. like you're getting all forms and all sorts of different types of animation. Um, and, and you're seeing people like working um, at, at these shows. I just got a couple more quickly. Um, I think a winner of this year is uh, Steven Spielberg. Now, he didn't release a movie this year, but the reason I'm saying that he won is because he uh, he predicted this implosion that's happening in Hollywood 10 years ago. And I think that that's kind of a win because he knew exactly what was going to happen. And I'm specifically referring to the comment that he made. Again, it was 10 years ago when Netflix was starting to really take off. And, and you know, we fast forward now and we saw that Netflix and movie theaters or not movie theaters, but movie studios are kind of responsible for why these strikes happen. But he said, quote, that's the big danger. And there's eventually going to be an implosion or a big meltdown. There's going to be an implosion where three or four or maybe even a half a dozen mega budget movies are going to crash into the ground. And that's going to change the paradigm. That is the story of this year. We have seen so many movies, as we just talked about, crash and burn, not make the money that they thought they were going to make because they are way too expensive. They over overinflated their expectations and I think over the next few years we're going to see the belt tightening continue and we're going to see the smaller budgets and that's going to force and necessitate more creativity I think and I think it's going to be better because I think when you have less to work with we're just naturally going to see people be more creative and be more inspired and give us better shit because when that's just naturally I think how things go when you have less to work with as opposed to having indispensable resources and so I think I think he's a winner just like by proxy of saying that the shit was going to happen um and, and one more um I don't want to be mean spirited about this, but I think a loser of this year is The Rock. And I say that because, you know, he he kind of got ousted from the DCU. You know, at the top of the year, we saw that Black Adam was no longer going to be a part of James Gunn's plans. Um, that kind of made him fall flat on his face after being the the public champion of Black Adam. He, he, he made it appear as if he was going to be the person leading the DCU forward, bringing Henry Cavill back. Everything was going to center around Black Adam. And that didn't happen, and 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 it all meant that he had to return to the to the franchise that really made him a star, and that's the Fast franchise. After him and Vin Diesel beefed for like seven years, and we got to the movie theater and we see him show up in the post credit scene, almost as an admission an admission of you know the fact that these these other things that he was trying to do just didn't work. You know, they just weren't taken off in the way that he did. Now, The Rock losing is me just fucking shooting from like 
not like way behind half court. Like this is a reach because that man pretty much never loses. Like he got tequila. He got every business. He got a football league. Like he's never losing. But I think in the context of Hollywood, he took like a pretty big lick on the chin this year. Just knowing that like the things that he was doing for a long time that did work, they don't feel like they're working anymore. So much so that they just announced that he's going to be teaming up with A24 to make a movie Mm -hmm. about Mark Kerr. And the director is Benny Safdie. So, like, for the first time in maybe 10 years, I would say since Pain and Gain, The Rock's going to be, like, acting, acting. Not just, like, showing up in a brown button down in a jungle Mm -hmm. as himself. Like, he's going to actually be acting, doing something that's a little bit more, has a little bit more artistic integrity. So, that's also, like, I think an admission on his part that he needs to push himself. He needs to further his creative pursuits and do something different because his his routine and his, his, his brand, you know, what he's built over these years... I think he's gotten a little stale. I think he's kind of admitted that, mm-hmm. you know, just by the by the movement of these of these different things. So um, I don't know. Like, what do you think about that movie with A24? Are you excited to see like what he does next or just, you know, where he's come over the over the course of the year? Yeah, man, you know, I'm a huge rock fan. I think he. Uh, I think one other thing just to note that he did this year is one of the biggest contributions to SAG, right? Uh, to SAG Astra in the in the that was huge. Strikes. Yeah. Which, which you know, is uh, shout out to him, man. I think he was at least you could tell the Rock at least cares about this stuff, which is why I think he's going through so much. He's having like an identity crisis almost of like, what am I supposed to do? But we've talked about this too, where unfortunately, on a lot of different fronts, the the movie star is not necessarily a thing anymore, right? And the Rock felt like that one of the only remaining pieces of what is a movie star, and and I think he again he's seeing some of that doesn't work out as much as it used to anymore let me actually go put myself to work like you said with the with the a24 safety movie brother uh safety brother movie and so i am i'm pretty excited to watch it man uh uh the rock he's been at this for a long time but he's never stepped into that realm of like you said uh, uh something that is pushing him as an actor something with a little more artistic integrity um and somebody who has been doing that for a long time is dave batista right that's been the argument like batista's running circles around the rock right now imagine a world where this movie comes out and we're like wait a second can the rock do something else that's not playing himself in a movie um and so i i agree uh all that all that crazy and madness he did lose some lose this year but again his contribution to sag and this this new role is like at least trending a, a upward trend in what the rock could potentially be in the future so a loser for sure but hopefully not not down for long He's also lost this year because he's um he's ducking his cousin. He's ducking Roman Reigns. Um, he just gotta he gotta stop playing like for real. Stop, like, stop playing. Stop Pull Dwayne. Up. Pull up, bro. Like Philly's 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 here. Don't tease us with SmackDown and fucking Pat McAfee. Like yeah, show up and, and wrestle. Like Colorado. do that. Um, <laughs> a random Colorado Ooh. show in the middle of September. Like nobody fucking you know cared until we cared. But uh, we'll we'll see. But um, folks. Those are all of our thoughts about the biggest winners and losers in Hollywood in the year of 2023. If you agree, disagree, if you have other thoughts, hit us up and let us know what you, let us know what you think. But with that being said, that's all we have for this year and this episode of Two Black Nerds. It's been a great year. It's been a fun year. It's been a crazy, hectic year, but we could not have done it without all of the support of this community that, that we built, all of the people that have showed up and showed out for us, especially as we crossed the 200 episode milestone. 
definitely just want to send so much appreciation, love, and thankfulness and gratitude to everybody that tunes in and supports Two Black Nerds. We'll be back next year in the year 2024. We'll have plenty to talk about. We'll come back and review Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. We'll come back and talk about Echo. We'll have a ton of movies to get to, such as The Book of Clarence and Bob Marley. There will be a lot on the forefront when it comes to January, but we're going to take a couple of weeks off, enjoy the holidays, and we'll also be releasing our end-of-year list. Look out for the best movies of the year, the best TV shows of the year. Those will be coming out on social, but we'll take a few weeks off and come back in January with all of the new episodes and everything that we've checked out. But until then, have a happy holidays, and we'll see y'all next time. Yes, sir. We are Audi 5000. Please check out our Nerds and Mischief collection at twoblacknerds.com, okay? Go ahead and get you a nice Christmas gift, mugs, crewnecks, you know, stickers, hoodies, mugs, all of it. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Happy holidays and happy new year. And we'll see y'all in 2024. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy, and we out y'all. Peace.